Today's guest is Christopher Hoyer. Hey, Christopher, how are you doing today? What's going on, man? How are you? I'm blessed. Cool. Let me try to get adjusted here. Yeah, no worries, man. Yeah. Got to have a special guest today, man. Bless you. Hey, nice. And who is this? This is old Jasmine. Jasmine, right on. She, she's my uh, she's my co-host today. <laughs> cool. So how, how's the day treating you? Uh, crazy busy, man. We're just running around trying to tap some loose ends and get prepared for this new bunch of guys coming on board. I got to get these guys trained up. 70 some odd hours, uh, approximately 120 guys in six weeks. So it's like, yeah, that'd be easy. So. Awesome. so how many, how many guys you generally have to train up so far? Zero. Um, I'm still brand new to the company. So, uh, still working on how, where everything, all the curriculum I've got to deal with and which I still don't have. I've got a few things, but I've got, uh, I think it's 11 or 12 classes that I'm still working on trying to get solidified so I can create PowerPoints or have PowerPoints delivered to me or both. I'm not really quite sure yet. So <laughs> it's going to be quite an uphill challenge. What was the, uh, I have Zoom accounts and uh, also that Vimeo account, that Vimeo account as well that you have access to. You're actually an admin on that. And, right. uh, I'll do a screen share with you and we can kind of walk through to where you could develop those videos to where because PowerPoint takes up a lot of different storage space and it's hard to actually share that to individuals to where they can download it, open it up because then an individual actually has to have that Microsoft account to even have the visibility of a PowerPoint opposed to just creating those videos. And then you can actually create chapters like within the Vimeo account, you can create chapters in line by line for everything else as well too so yeah. i mean, I mean that's it's what I want, I want to see happen with this right here as well oh yeah me too Where's, for sure well i mean because like you know essentially you know once we get through all of this and uh review all the different chapters and the reason i want to do this and take the time to do everything is for the simple fact of being able to have a discussion about the book you know it's one thing for myself or anyone else you know to, to pick this book up and you know read it through I mean, I get a lot of the feelings and everything else. I've read it a couple of times over and I can kind of feel the emotions that you're uh, expressing to everyone. But in the same sense, having you here and having you read it, you know, your own words, and then also having a discussion in between, it kind of like we were talking about the other day about the, the light bulb incident. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, now it makes sense. Right, you know right. what I mean? I see you got, I see you got uh, cleaned up, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's about 20 years. Yeah, like about 20 pounds too, for that matter. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was getting shaggy. And um, since I'm bringing these new guys on board pretty soon, I wanted to get, you know, back to, you know, kind of street level, if you will, look to where I look more professional and stuff. And even though my girlfriend, she gave me the okay to, to get rid of it, but I know she's still bummed out. But you were trying to, uh, you were trying to get inducted into the, uh, 
the uh, what is it that the beard club or the yeah. uh, what's it called? <laughs> yeah, as soon as puberty kicks in, I think it's gonna rip off though. Yeah, day, so. yeah man. But, uh, so how how many how's the hours and everything else going uh, with this new uh, venture? Dude, it's I tell you, man, it's it's really strange because as you well know, I wore a uniform for over twenty years, and then even when I was working for the Marine Corps thing, that was still more on the tactical side of what I was wearing, you know, BDUs and that kind of stuff. Now I'm going to work in um, business attire. You know, I'm riding a train to work. I'm working banker's hours, man. It's, it's really strange for me to go into the, into the corporate world, but it's, you know, it's Monday through Friday, eight to five kind of a thing. And even though most of my day is spent in an office working on a computer, it's um, still pretty rewarding. It's pretty neat. So. Yes, sir. Is it something that, uh, where do you see yourself going with this? So, I mean, how much time does it give you, you know, cause again, like this book, you know, in the training, you have another book coming out as well too, that, you know, I kind of want to get it. I know this is today's, you know, broadcast is to kind of go over, you know, chapter one, chapter two, but I kind of want to go into the teaser part of book two, cause I know it's a little bit more vivid for the viewers to actually kind of see those in the moments, which, I feel is vital for individuals considering, you know, taking this for their career, you know, I mean, because it's the real life moments. It's, you know, what we're restricted to know of what really goes on behind the scenes is one thing, but, you know, having, and, and again, that's this book, you're so vivid on like every account of like what the emotions are of like, you know, what caused you to go in, what caused, you know, certain decisions in the moment. And I don't know if it feels like it to you, but, you know, because we've had the conversation before about, you know, how, especially on the critical incidents, where the individuals on the sideline always like, oh, hey, you should have done it differently. Right. But I, mean, I know in like the last broadcast, you even said that, you know, when you sit back and kind of look at it to where, well, maybe I could have done this differently. But it's easy to do that. But when you have to make a, a decision in seconds, you know, it's, it's, you know, beyond fathomable as far as individuals that are trying to judge or pass judgment or, you know, Oh, Hey, did you ever think about doing this? <laughs> you know, and we've yeah. been talking split seconds. It's like the, well, yeah, but it's like I had 500 other little thoughts that I was trying to, you know, process as well too. So. Yeah. And then you, you factor in, you're trying to save your own life or life of somebody else that changes everything too. I mean, y'all know that, I mean, although the way Mike Tyson says it, everybody's prepared to like get punched in the face, you know, <laughs> that yes, changes sir. everything. So, yes, sir. Um, and, you know, I, I want that feedback and I want guys to put themselves in my shoes in particular situations. And and I've said this a hundred times over, you know, this isn't my quote, but I stole it from a friend of mine. You know, it's it's a way, not the way. But this this path that I went down worked up till this point, And then it started to kind of fall apart at this point. And that's not just in a critical incident. I mean, that's for my entire career. So, um I want guys to put themselves in my shoes and say, I would have never done it that way. Great. You know, okay, well, please educate me on how you would have done it, you know. And every, every circumstance is going to be slightly different, of course, as we all know. And so I want to – this is why, you know, I talk about this. We'll get to this hopefully into the book at some point in time. Me and my girlfriend says it's going to take us a year to get through this the way you and I talk, but whatever. Uh, uh, Thanks, Natalie. Yeah. Hey, that's the importance of the editing because – you know, actually, like with these live shows, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what's beautiful about having her kind of, you know, in the background is the <laughs> fact that, you know, her being able to 
get it back on course. You right, know what I mean? Right. As far as she the, does. Believe me. She's sitting across the room with her whip right now, getting ready to freaking, you know, get me back in shape. So. Well, it's what's important because, you know, especially with this being the live broadcast and essentially, you know, as the viewers grow and, and that's really what, I mean, you and I both are aiming for the fact of, you know, having people, you know, while this is a live broadcast to ask the questions yeah. as we're, as we're going, Absolutely. you know, and, you know, I, I know it's been a slow start. I kind of just like ramped it up to where I was supposed to start this venture, you know, probably about like six, seven months ago or whatever the case was. But I have the other businesses that I had to, you know, dedicate my time to a little bit more. And because of my passion about where I want to take this here and the individuals that I'm trying to impact, you know, in a positive way, help them grow, you know, be that avenue, be that resource for, you know, law enforcement, firefighter, you know, first responders in general and military personnel, military veterans, to where they have someone to reach out to, someone like yourself that's been there, you've been, and, you know, you kind of share that, you know, the vulnerabilities of, hey, look, I've been there, I had my own different struggles, but this is what I've done to overcome that. Yeah. And in the same sense, when you go into, like, the academies and you provide your training, your insight, and you're doing, like, the, the national speaking, you're always going to have like the individuals like the what did you think about doing this well you know i didn't then but that's the reason i'm in here right now training you is so that you can kind of think of where i was at and now you can kind of put yourself there and you can come up with these other things to where it is that split second decision it is that muscle memory and things like that so and i'll commend you until the end of time chris for you know everything that i mean taking that tragedy taking your whole career you know the good and i mean you've exposed quite a Quite a few instances in here where it was kind of like to, hey, you know, kick myself in the teeth, but hey, I know now. Yeah, you know, right. and it's it, it's a blessing for others to do. So, with yeah, that being said, you know, what I what I try to do is like <laughs> I talk about, you know, playing the what if game, and you know, I'll, I'll what if it all up until I get on the range or or in the detach room or wherever it is, and then I'll let somebody else that has more experience than I do teach me another way that that can work, and then I try to put that in the real world scenarios. And so, you know, I, I bring the what if game to here, I bring the DTAC level to here, and then I bring the street to here. And you've only got a little bit more room that you can you can change things around when you need to. But if you've got all that knowledge already, when like in my first shooting, when it ended up being one scenario that I would never have thought of in a million years, I went through all the things that I had thought about prior to. And when it came time to pull the trigger, I went straight to that next level. And, you know, like in a half second. And that's that's exactly why I did what I did. I had no idea that's what it was going to end up being. But as it turned out, it worked out pretty good for me. You know, thank God. I saved my own life, literally. But um, so. so how much of kind of like what you and I are doing with the chapter by chapter, how much of the chapter by chapter is it or are you wanting to create the training to be such but how much of the chapter to chapter is it when you go into the the agencies or if you're doing one-on-one -on -one with you know officers and things like that as far as you know this book what you try to you know convey to them as the lesson to where it's individuals can take what you're offering and implement that into you know their strategies and you know put it into their tactical belt basically well i think I'm nearing one of the bigger challenges of, of the training environment of getting guys to kind of 
not not do it my way because I don't want people doing what I do because that that's not going to work as you know like former boss shit magnet exactly right you know you know I told my boss I'm like look I'm not Steve I don't do what you do this is how I do things and so trying to get guys to just open up and realize that you know you can be the top dog SWAT guy in the world but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know everything you need to know and so being able to you know get these guys to say, Hey, you know what? Maybe I don't know everything that I thought I did. And this guy, you know, if, if one guy out of a hundred takes away one thing that I'm teaching, okay with that. Say, hey, you know, what? I don't, I don't like the way you did this, but I kind of, you know, that, that one thing you did say made me think, and I'm going to go in another direction with that, you know, and that's, that's pretty much what I want, you know, just to open it up. So, you know, and it's going to happen. So, you know, you know, people ask me, I have actually made a post today in regard to it is, you know, people will contact me like private message or they'll call me and ask me like why I do what I do. You know, it is the, they're like, you know, I seen you only had like 25 views, you know, because it was talking about the post in regard with that I did with uh, Michael Zanito in the Peacekeepers for Life. And they're like, you know, you only get like the 25 views, you know, why do you continue to do this and, you know, push for, I'm like, well, you and I have a different mentality in the first place. If you're asking me that question, it's like people ask me all the time why I get up at two thirty, three thirty in the morning, and it's like if you have to ask me that question, you're on the wrong path anyway. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just that I, I do what I do, just what you just said in yeah. regard to if I can impact one life to where an individual is going to be able to, you know, alter their course for the better. My purpose is served, you know, and I'm not even I don't even do this what I do right here for me. I mean, it's for yourself and for everybody else that you're going to impact you know i right. want to be that avenue for individuals to reach out you know because i handle suicide prevention i have mental health counseling i have so many other different programs that i do that i'll fund for everything for for you to get in different agencies because people need to hear what you're doing and you know that's coming really 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 soon you know i'm just trying to find out the different venues and things because i want to kind of get it set up to where you know ray Bashir's with blue tactical yeah, can right. utilize the actual uh, facilities as well, bring you in, kind of do a duality if we need to. And now that we'll have, you know, the uh, resource of uh, Michael Zanito, you know, bring him in, kind of, you know, connect you all as well too. And then yeah. on uh, Tuesday, I'm doing uh, Michael Subaru, and he's got the whole plethora of different, uh, you know, resources, everything else that he does. So oh, yeah, he does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's a very uh, wisdom oriented type of guy, man. I, I just love listening to him talk because he's so passionate and he's, I mean, he's up in your face telling you all his experiences, you know, and I'm like, my God, you know, this guy is, you know, he's almost, he's almost compelling to where you, you don't want to look away because you don't want to miss anything on him, you know, it's awesome. So, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think everything that we're doing is, is definitely for the right, for the right reasons, going down the right path and recognizing that, you know, whether, Somebody takes it on board or they don't, you know, that's not going to stop me. If, if I don't save the life today, then that's not going to stop me from continuing on doing this. Stuff. So, um, you know, and it's, it's one of the things as well, too, that, you know, even if you don't completely alter the course of somebody's life, you know, if if an individual had a pause for that 10 seconds, that 10 minutes to kind of think about what it is that you presented, that pause that it just did. You know, ultimately could have you know saved their life for that 10 seconds that 10 minutes you know for them to at least stop and think about their actions stop and think about the effects of their actions stop and think about you know the family of you know who they're actually 
you know, destroyed and things like that as well, too. So, right. And that's that's tough. I mean, no matter what, no matter how you look at it, anybody with any length of time on the department has has altered their emotional state of mind on so many different levels, you know, and and regaining that composure sometimes. I mean, I'm I'm job that. gaining that back is very very difficult sometimes. Because you're, you know, you're on the wrong side of the fence. You're, you know, you're getting beat up by your squad mates and your boss and the brass. And nobody cares. Big deprivation, and you're working off duty to pay bills that you swore you'd never do. You know, it was only toys. You know, next thing you know, and you're not getting, you know, you're not getting the responses for backups like you used to. And I mean, all these things are, are weighing down on you. And so, going back to loving the job sometimes is is very very difficult. You know, and what I tell people all the time is, you know, I say, don't forget what it was, what it looked like when you were sitting in the background investigator's office saying, I'll do whatever it takes, you know? Um, and I had, believe me when I tell you, I had to remind myself of that on a, on a semi-regular basis toward the end of my career that I'm still a very highly privileged individual to wear this badge and this uniform, you know, and that's a big deal. It really is. And I don't want guys to forget that, you know, as much as you might hate what you're doing, you didn't always hate it. And so don't forget that, you know, I mean, things might be going bad, but they will turn around if you, if you just change your attitude a little bit, maybe. And, you know, and I believe what I say, I mean, like with my former boss, I blamed him for all the stuff going wrong in my life at the time. And I was far more to blame than he was because it was mostly my attitude. And I was had a, had a bad attitude and I, you know, I lashed out instead of taking a step back and, and recognizing that shit, I'm the bigger problem here, you know, and the poor guy, Having to have me under his thumb, holy cow, man! I can't imagine having me work for this poor dude. So, you know, so well, it's kind of like uh, during that broadcast with uh, Michael Zanito, and you both were sitting there talking about where you know the stepping out part, to where it's kind of like you know missing that whole connection, where it's like the you know where is that brotherhood, yeah, you know, right. and, and and that's what I love about you know this book because you touch on it kind of subconsciously throughout this book in regard to the different things, because you can see how, you know, you're living that moment and how it still sticks with you today. And, and and that's why it's so important that, you know, when you're going in there and speaking to the cadets, speaking to the veterans, speaking to the supervisors that or the superiors, you know, that the things, the decisions that we're making today, you know, it's not going to end today. You know, it's going to stick with you on that next incident. It's going to stick with you when you retire. It's going to stick with your family and everything else, too. So that's why it's just vital that we get this out there. <laughs> Thanks, man. So whenever you're ready, we can, uh, if you want to start reading. All right. Yes, sir. Yes, the, uh, I have it starting on uh, chapter one. That's what I'm uh, about to do right now is kind of type it so it scrolls across the bottom as well, too. Because, you know, as you know, and as Natalie knows, we're going to stop throughout your reading and kind of, you know, touch on some of these different topics. And I do apologize to, you know, you and, you know, everybody at home viewing of how tired I look, you know, for the past week, I've been trying to grind, just make different things happen, getting these commercials out there, raise the awareness because uh, the week of October 17th, I'm starting a whole uh, mental health awareness week to where I'm kind of collaborating and getting all these guys together, you know, yourself included to where we can actually just, you know, make this happen. Going to have different uh, funding options to where individuals can, you know, donate a couple of dollars and I'll ship your book out to them or different agencies and stuff like that as well, too. So it's going to be pretty huge this coming week and everything, too. So I love it, man. I, love it. I, I think you look fine to me, but, you know. So. I, like uh, Natalie, Natalie, I, I live in Florida and look like I'm from Alaska. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was asking if there's a link that she can click on really quick. Share. Or share, whatever. I don't know. For for this being live right here? Yeah. For, yes. Yeah. yeah if, she, if she goes to my profile or if she goes to uh, actually yeah, on Facebook or do you need a, a separate, you want the, the StreamYard link so individuals can join? Whatever is easier for you, I guess. You just want to watch it. I want to watch and share it. She wants to watch and be able to probably comment and share, I guess. So I should just bring her I'm, over here. So I'm, 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 well, here, I'm, I'm going to send her a link right now. Oh, there you go. I'm, I'm going to send it to you. Then you can forward it over to her That uh, on the phone or anything else. Oh. Let me see if I can find a guest. And in this way, she can actually join the broadcast. I mean, it'd kind of be a, I'd kind of like to have her on here anyway. That way, you know, even viewers at home to see like, because it's a whole different aspect where, you know, she's reading it from the sideline and being able to take that manuscript that you handed her of everything that you've been through. I mean, I know you and I spoke about this on the first broadcast in regard to, you know, how much about you did Natalie know prior to picking that book up? Like, oh my God, wow. And you were talking about how you know, she knew you was that laid back guy riding the bike and stuff like that. And it's, oh, uh, I think she got it. Okay, hold on. I'm about to, uh, I'm also going to send this live link over to you and then you can uh, forward it over to her. And then for the viewers that, that are watching this in the groups that I share it to the groups, there's a StreamYard link that, cause you have to allow Facebook to share your profile in order for you to make comments and communicate with Christopher. If you have questions for him, that way I can broadcast your comments up on the screen and everything else as well, too, if you're viewing from a group. Okay, so I just I just sent I just texted you the link to actually join the group. Go ahead and forward that over to Natalie. That way she if she okay. wants to join in, she can join in. Or if or if she wants to take that link and email it to somebody else, a friend or somebody else that you know may want to join in. I let uh Chris Gregorio. I said I copied him on the email and uh, Sam Livingston and uh, John Hall, but it was kind of like last minute. They didn't get it until like you know, 10 minutes before we're about to go live. So I understand if they don't have opportunities to jump on, but you know, I just encourage everybody to, you know, make the comments. I'm going to, as a matter of fact, let me do this uh, invite real quick. Um, instructions for guests. Can you still see me? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, no, because I'm, I'm on a different screen. I'm trying to get these instructions for a, a guest. Excuse that background noise. I'm in my uh, office right now on the cleaning crews out in the hallway with right. a little cart.
Is she is she wanting the link for individuals to watch? Yes. Okay. Uh, I appreciate everybody's patience. I just want to make this happen, try to make it easy for everybody. Thanks for doing this. Always. I I appreciate everything that both of you have, have done. I appreciate you, Natalie. I mean, I know you know some may look at it as a job and everything else, but yeah. you know, you've taken the time to edit that. Well, it's the it's it's vital that you know you're able to sit there because you looking at it. You're seeing it as if it's one of us, you know, seeing his life. So for you being able to, you know, put it, you know, in a perspective that, you know, others otherwise wouldn't be able to, you know, have that visibility. I mean, it's, it's tremendous. Thank you. Well, and then having to put up with me is also another. That, that made it, that was a, another degree of difficulty. Yeah. <laughs> See, my poor boss, my poor girlfriend. I mean, holy cow, man. <laughs> Insane. So. Cue cards. Cue cards. Yeah. <laughs> TXM3. XDAF. WU. Let her know, let Natalie know that I just tagged you in the post of us being live right now. So she could actually just forward that over and share that as well. Okay. That's what she wanted, apparently. So. Something I've learned is whatever Natalie wants, that's all I need to say. So. <laughs> a, happy, a, a happy wife or, you know, it's a happy life. And, oh, yes. you know, it's the, you know, a lot of, a lot of people take that in a literal sense to where, you know, marriage is just a, a government thing that just kind of puts a tag on everything else as well. You know what I mean? And it's just, if you care enough about someone, you know, you're married regardless, you know, yeah. that's where like common law marriage back in the day used to stand true and everything else. So yeah, we're getting there pretty quick actually. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> My tiny little apartment's getting even smaller with her here now. So, oh boy. So. Oh, here, this this right here. You don't need this. This can go here. Yeah, here's my stuff. That. Here's flowers and <laughs> uh, pillows. That's the thing with her. 
why we need 27 pillows on the bed. I, I still can't figure that one out. But speaking of like the bed, it's like, you know, making a bed. You know, it's one of the things that's like, uh, you know, you make your bed to mess it up later on. Yeah, you know, exactly. What's the, uh, what was that? What was that general, that, that captain's name? But he, he was talking about the, you know, you want to start success in life, you know, start by making your bed. Yeah, that's a great, great speech. That's a great book, too. Um, Admiral uh, McRaven. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Good, dude, man. I like that guy. So. I missed him. We were down in uh, Coronado, California. Apparently, he was in the same store where I was doing book signings like a half an hour before, and I missed him. And I was so upset. I'm like, dude, come on. You know, how often do you get to meet a guy like that? But, man, we never did get to find him. So, but uh, next time, maybe. So. It's always the next time. Yeah. Ish. Of course, I'm hoping he's going to be like, hey, that's Chris Wire. Holy cow. You know, all right. So. <laughs> First sentence of chapter one is, you know, it hits home with, you know, myself especially, but, you know, a lot of individuals. And it's, I can't wait for you to start reading this. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently that is true. I'm not sure I fully understand it, but I'm just going to go with yes. You're probably right. So, yeah, Either that I'll be sleeping on the couch. So, is it working now? What does she need? What happened? No, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I can, I can send another link over. No, it's, the, it's not the link. It's Chris, your other Facebook. I've got two Facebook pages. I, one I used to have for work, which I never deleted, and I started another one. So um, I'm not sure which one you're on. So If, if she goes to uh, at Truth KMG, the page, you can just look me up on Facebook at Truth KMG. It's my actual Facebook page for, you know, the Truth Knowledge Management Group. And it's streaming live on my page as well. That's where a majority of people go to anyway. So it's a. Uh... Apparently she got it. So. There it is. Here it's a. Uh... So there's the uh, the Facebook page. So if you look up on uh, if you look for the just like you would look a, a person up, if you look up to at Truth K or Truth KMG, it should pull that page up. Okay. Yeah, she says she got it. I think so. Perfect. 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 Yeah. Whatever you want to, you can you can start reading whatever you want to. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm actually all I'm doing right now is typing up the the first chapter. And I'm gonna have it scrolling across the bottom here shortly. All right. So this one is uh, looks like it's about ten pages. So. Yeah, but I mean, like, like we were talking about in the first broadcast with uh, Chris, mm -hmm. to where it's the 
you make it easy to read. You know what I mean? The, the space, the spacing and everything's can. And again, you know, Natalie with her editing and everything else, it's, it's flawless. It really well, is. She's, she's the one that did the hard work. Like I keep saying, I mean, I was, I mean, I wrote it, but she fixed it up and made it pretty. So, which was not an easy task, I'm sure. So, <laughs> so, all right. So whenever you're ready, I'll, uh, I'll get it yes. rolling. If you want. Oh yeah, you're good. Cool. If uh, if I stop you and things like that, I apologize. But you know, a lot of the questions that I have, I'm sure others, you know, are going to have them as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, anybody that is, you know, viewing this right now, you know, I implore everyone to ask questions or, you know, make the comment. It, it's lagging just a couple seconds, but you know, if you hear, you know, Chris reading a part of his book and you have a question about that, or you want to make a statement, or you know, you yourself are thinking about certain instances and things like that. You know, just make a comment. I'll flash it across the screen. That way, Chris can give you his response. And yeah, I appreciate everybody course. viewing. Uh, I, I keep saying good, bad, whatever, ugly. I don't care. I mean, I want to know everything that you guys are, are thinking about. So, and this is this is all for you. So I've already I've already lived all this before. So this is easy for me now just to recite it again. So, uh, but I shall pause in between some sentences. Every once in a while, if I don't just get on a roll and can't shut up, which is not easy for me to do either. But you know, a lot, a lot of people complain about this cup. I've had this cup for years. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, a lot of a lot of people don't realize that it's a two-sided cup, to where sometimes I have to remind myself, you know, to shut the f yeah. up. You know, because it's the you know sometimes we have to listen to what others are saying, and sometimes yeah. you know I have to remind myself that hey, stupid, you know, shut up and listen. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. As, as Mike Z uh, Zanito said, uh, the IKEA guy. I know everything, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> right. so, okay, so here we go. All right, chapter one, early lesson in carrying on. So I'm the son of a United States Marine, a man I have never met. Uh, from what I'm told, he was Special Forces Recon. This could explain a lot about who I am and the career path I pursued. My biological father was deployed to Vietnam in 1969, the year I was born. He was never to be seen or heard from again. Uh, not from the little family he left behind anyway. Heartbreaking. That's not to say that I haven't tried to find him. There is a part of me that wonders how different my life would have been uh, had he been around. I guess I'll never know. So my mom's great. I love her. She's a rock star. Uh, she provided everything I needed. But it wasn't what I would call a happy upbringing. Uh, I'm not going to say that I'm disappointed, but it wasn't what I wanted growing up. Truth is, I am no stranger to challenge and the harshness of real life. Um, Growing up, I had plenty of both. Life got especially tough in high school. I never got too comfortable at any one school. I transferred in and out of at least four. At 14 years old, a high school freshman, I loved riding my bike. It was the best part of being a kid. Still do, by the way. Uh, still the best part of being an adult. Uh, the worst part about, uh, about it was being so impressionable. I had a friend who was less than responsible. Uh, he got me into a fair amount of trouble. Being young and unknowing cost me in many ways cost me i'm sorry in many ways it was the last time in my life when i would enjoy being free i remember hopping into a car one night with my friend's adult sister and her boyfriend for an excursion to the mall we didn't do anything more than just driving around but when i didn't return home mostly out of fear mom was pretty upset she did not believe me when i told her we were just out cruising all night i never did convince her of that fact uh she quotes why did you do this that was so dangerous and unlike you she exclaimed you're going to live with your father of course, I cannot ever forget why my mom was such a badass. 
I've towered over since I was about 12 years old, but all things considered, I made the near fatal mistake of responding to her in the heat of the moment. Well, at least it was only my first time. So I'm not sure the handprint ever really went away. I got slapped so hard, I think it scared my unborn kids. Sorry, mom. Not long after that, I went to live with my stepdad. Uh, he's the only father figure I ever knew. His was a short-lived marriage to mom, ending abruptly. He was a stand-up man, supporting mom and me when times called for it. Again, not ideal, but those are the cards I was dealt. And I, was, and I am grateful for him nonetheless. When I turned 15, I was employable. I worked full-time throughout the summer, including weekends. That was a shock to the system, to say the least. When school started up again, it was a new and unwanted chapter in my life. Besides the fact that this was high school number three for me, and it was an hour-long commute every day to a school aptly named the Cow Barn. So what do you think that means? So on top of which, at the end of the school day, I had to wait on campus until I got picked up or I found a place to go, whichever came first. Lucky for me, I found a friend and was able to hang out at his house. Of course, then there was the hour-long drive home. It was taxing on everybody. As a kid, I remember thinking that summertime meant I was finally free from school, teachers, and homework. That feeling of freedom came to a grinding halt when I was told that I'd be up at 7 o'clock every morning throughout the summer and would be given a long list of chores to complete. That would take me all day. You know what to do this every day? What the fuck? Goodbye, summer. After a year of that nonsense, I was asked, would you like to go back to a normal public school? You mean like in a real city? Um, yeah. That's when I enrolled in high school number four. It was goodbye to the cow barn and back to regular school, as regular as possible in the New England area. It was one of those that sounded great in the brochure situations in the middle of nowhere in some godforsaken forest, deep, deep in the forest. The house we lived in was set in a, an amazing location for summer camp or a vacation rental right there on the lake. But for full-time living, it was tough, especially for a city kid who knew nothing of responsibility. I was contending when mosquitoes arrived with pterodactyls in the summer and in the winter, the snow was so deep you had to carry a flare gun and emergency survival kit to the end of the driveway. Not that you could drive. The plows would block in the driveway with mountains of snow every stinking morning as they scraped it out of the roadway. And you would need at least a 30 minute head start to warm up the car. And who do you think that got tasked with that? That was me. Uh, best of all was the mile long walk to the bus stop. And no one believes me, but it was uphill both ways and in the snow and in the dark, and barefoot. Okay, I made that part up, but give me a break. Uh, add the one and a half hour, hour and 15 minute bus ride to school, and I was the first kid on the morning and the last one off in the afternoon. Jeez. For the most part, things were mellow until the beginning of my senior year. A few weeks into the semester, everything changed for the worse. I was 18 years old, had a total piece of shit for a car, but it was mine. Unlike my junior year when I was Mr. Popularity, a stellar athlete who was dating the head cheerleader, my senior year was rough. It was a game of catch up. I had to complete a full load of a full class load in order to graduate. Being responsible was the priority at home. So I was working full time too. Thought I had a decent handle on things, not so much as it turned out. That's when I was told if you want to live here, you're gonna to have to pay rent. Come again? This was a moment that changed my life forever. It was a Saturday morning. I was sitting at the dining room table eating a bowl of cereal. Dad walked in, sat down, opened the newspaper. I thought nothing of it. You have your rent money, he asked? Nope. Where are you going to live? I don't know, I shrugged. Uh, that's when reality hit. I was on my own, so I stood up and placed a cereal bowl in the sink. Packed a couple bags of clothes, uh, making two trips to the car. On the second trip, there was a bag of groceries waiting for me. I picked up the groceries, got into my POS car, and drove off. 
No fight, no tears, and no goodbye. That's how quickly life as I knew it came to an end. The entire event took about 15 minutes. I did not define my parents. They said it and I did it. There was no ceremony. I just left. It was just that simple. What else could I do? Over the years, there have been some lasting struggles with uh, getting booted out of both my homes at such a young age. But I dealt with the demons and faced the reality of how harsh life could be. The fact was the level of responsibility put on me at the time was simply too much. I don't blame anyone for this because life is not easy and the lesson learned was a good one. As a naive kid, I was just not ready for it. Needless to say, graduating high school was not going to happen and the idea of being instantly homeless was a new concept. Where does one go from here? Podunk, New England in the deep woods in the mid 80s wasn't exactly a hotbed for hotels. So I guess, again, the question lingered where, who, what, how, it was just me. This was my first realization that I would truly have to fend for myself, carry my own weight. After weeks of living in my car, I found a buddy who let me stay with him for a spell, which was fortunate because my POS car died and was instantly towed. Yeah, thanks a lot. Never saw it again. I was, however, able to see my dad again. Uh, I maintained contact with him. I went back home, quote unquote, to visit mom that Thanksgiving. Home? Truth was, I had lost sight of what home was for me. I looked to this opportunity of, of starting over with the shame of becoming a high school dropout. I didn't let that emotion hang around for long. I kept moving forward, even though it was a tough, tough struggle, bouncing from place to place to place. I did, however, find a little solace in a new job. Worked hard, and before long, I was back on my feet. I saved up enough money for an apartment, and soon after, a new hot rod. Uh, life got easier. I was spending for myself on a whole new level, and the decisions I was making here we're now based on success, not survival. So second half of this is titled uh, From Carpet Layer to Cop. So fast forward, at 26 years old, I was married and running a small construction company out west, flooring repair. Hey, uh, I'm sorry, I was, I was muted yeah. there for a second. I want to touch base on that that first half. I just wanted to let you, you read through that. So, okay. you know, with the, the very first paragraph, what you're talking about, the, and it's kind of actually, you know, scrolling across the bottom right now. You know, about, you know, that's not to say that I haven't tried to find him and it's a part of me that, you know, wish stuff would have been, you may never know. You know, and a lot of times we lose sight in this real life aspect. It's, you know, when someone dies or when somebody steps out of our life and us wondering, you know, what they're doing or, you know, how different our life would be if they were in it, you know, and in essence, you know, that thought in our head, and it's like I tell people all the time that, you know, funerals are supposed to be a celebration of life. You know, and it's sad that so many individuals, that's the only time people get together, right? But as we keep that in our minds, so like I grew up in a very abusive home, very, very abusive, you know, and I thought about things as far as the how different life would have been if I didn't sustain the abuse that I sustained. And, you know, as time went on, it is, you know, I've studied different things in the behavior analysis and all that other good stuff too, but rah, rah, rah. But, you know, I've realized that, you know, essentially, I am living as if I didn't do that to where I'm able to redirect my life as if I did live it to where I didn't sustain that abuse. Yeah, it may have been a course that I may not have taken, but... I believe, you know, and I'm not going to say fate and things like that, but I really do believe in the order of things, you know, and even in the chaos of things, that chaos actually creates 
the order. You know, some people aren't able to you know, turn it around and make it for the positive as, you know, you yourself did. But, you know, I really believe that in that chasing of him, you lived your life as if, you know, it's the him being there and that restriction being there and, you know, you pushing your life as that. It didn't have to be without him. I mean, do you see where I'm going with this as far as the, I mean, because it, it, it does play a whole mental game and a lot of individuals that join the core. A lot of individuals that join, you know, law enforcement, it's it is for that brotherhood because there's a lack of family, personal family. So what they do is they're seeking a family of acceptance of brotherhood or sisterhood, wherever the case may be, of that acceptance of someone that's going to be there for you and you can turn to, they can turn to you. So how much of, you know, that lack of kind of drove you into, you know, you actually joining the force and you making the decisions to actually, you know, be a part of, you know, a family in a broader sense. That's, you know what, man, that's a fascinating question. I've never been asked that. And I've honestly never even thought about it that way. Um, I'm not even sure how to answer that because I gotta, I gotta look back when I was, you know, 26 and, and deciding to join up for the force. I mean, it truly was an idea of, I'm just going to go chase bad guys. I mean, it drive really as fast as you want to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really didn't go much further than that. Um, looking back on it now, knowing what I know now about the uh, that family you're describing, I would probably have that up. You know, I never really even. I kind of. It sounds. It sounds really bad to say it this way, and this isn't. It really isn't true, but I kind of just felt like you know I'm on my own. You know, I mean, after my mom kicked me out and my dad kicked me out, and I'm living on my own. I'm, I'm homeless. So I got to take care of myself. That's just kind of the mentality that I had as a, as a younger kid and as a younger adult, you know, and it was one of those things where, you know, if, if I don't take care of myself, nobody's going to take care of me, you know, and God bless Natalie. Now that she's here, it's, it's all still brand new to me, even though I was married for almost three decades, I never really got taken care of on that sense. You know what I mean? I mean, we always had paper towels and the bills were paid and stuff like that, but I never got taken care of the way that I am now. And I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, you know? And I, and I, I embrace it every single freaking second of my life now because it's such a great thing that I'm like, wow, these are one of those things that I've been missing my whole life. Even with the force, um, it's a whole different thing. And guys understand, you know, when you're, when you're walking up on a car and your partner's there, he's got your back or you, you know, you're looking at guys eyes before you hit a door, these kinds of things. That's, that's something that can't be, can't be described until you've actually done it or can't be replaced until you don't have it anymore. Um, but that's not the same kind of love that you receive from, you know, somebody who is truly by your side, you know, all the time, regardless, you know, and that, that's something still kind of new to me. So I'm like, ah, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty neat. This is how the other half is supposed to live. Right. So, yeah. Well, see, and another thing with that as well is that, you know, if you've never been exposed to or given anything within your life to compare something to, whether it's the the good life, I mean, it, it goes with personal life, it goes with our career choices and everything. If I've only been exposed to one way of life or an individual only treating me one way, I don't know what that other side is like. Yeah. You know, that's why that's why pain is one of the greatest blessings that we as human beings experience. Because without that pain, we have no measure on what love truly is or on what success is or what feeling good really is. 
you know, so it, that, that's where I look at it as being a blessing. I was so resentful for many years because of, you know, the abuse and everything else, too, to where, you know, I mean, I, I thought of suicide when I was 10 years old. You know, it's it, and that's not OK. It's not normal. It's not. And but I just wanted to just die. I, I didn't care what tomorrow would even present to me. And then so from the age of 10 years old, I just sedated myself and sedated myself to where from the age of 10 until the age of 28, there was not a day that went by to where I was not sedated under alcohol, narcotics, anything that I could just to be numb so I didn't have to feel. And yeah. then so I never really allowed somebody to get close to me, have a relationship to me, because I just kind of figured that, oh, you're just going to turn your back on me like everyone else did. I had no measure of that other side of what love truly was. Yeah. So like with, with my wife, for example, you know, I, I knew she cared and I, I loved her, but I just gave her things and things and things. But I was still, you know, sedated because of that wall I had up. And then when she was murdered, that's when my whole life did that 720, you know, around and back again right. towards that. Now I had a measure, you know, and that's where like, you know, everything. So from 2006 until where we sit today has just been that my only happiness is the happiness of other individuals, you know? Yeah. And so like people always question about the passions that I have. And that's why I love your story so much. That's why I love conversing with you so much. It's just that, you know, cause you have a real story and you've taken a negative, and you've made it positive, you know, not only for yourself, but, you know, David Glasser and being able to keep his memories alive and dedicating this whole book to him to ensure that other law enforcement officers, their brothers, their sisters are able to be more aware to where they're not going to have to sustain that loss because you yourself had that measure to be able to say, hey, you know what, this is what it was when I was there. This is what, you know, I witnessed. This was the outcome of it. You don't have to go through that if you take these proper steps of which your book lays out perfectly. And that's why all of this is important. What we're talking about right now, as far as, you know, your father not being there, because again, that played, I mean, the step-by-step -step of this book, you may not seen it, you know, Natalie probably seen it as she was editing and putting it in, you know, from our eyes being the, the readers, but it's the, you know, that level of measure of what led up to, and then, you know, the end of what caused your retirement, what caused you to write this book, it's that measure, you know, and you finding the love. And I, I believe the whole sequence of everything else has fallen into place. You know, the writing of the book, Natalie coming into your life. Now you have a whole different measure on everything. I mean, completely, you know, and it, that's why I think it's beautiful of what you've done. I want to see you continue to do this. I want to see you go, you know, share it to individuals start speaking more, training more. And it's just, I mean, it's, I just pray that the viewers at home, you know, understand, you know, the impact and, you know, the blessing that this book presents. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I don't think it's a secret that I didn't want any part of this. I really didn't. I didn't want to be on that scene. I didn't want to go to the funeral. I didn't want to do anything, but I was there and I do feel like there is a, a huge level of obligation on my side that, man, if I, if I don't tell the story, it's one of the greatest stories ever told, you know, and this, you know, it's, it is part of my story, of course. Yeah. Cause I wrote it, but there's, there's a million other guys that have been through a lot worse stuff than I have 
that maybe never got to that level where they could either talk about it, face it, deal with it or whatever else. And, um, you know, it's, again, it's one of those things where I, I don't make any secret about it for the guys that haven't been through it. I want them to, to recognize these are the signs you're going to face the guys that have been through it to say, Hey man, it's okay to say you're not okay. You know? And I, I harp on that all the time. Uh, just had that conversation with another guy, another podcast guy from Florida that wants to talk about my story. And, you know, I, I pointed that out. It's like, look, man, you got so many of these guys that, you know, they're, they're still doing what I was doing, pounding their chest going up. I'm good. Uh, okay. Well, you can say that all you want to, but you know, you're full of shit and you're denying it that you're not okay. Um, and again, if you want to be okay, you can, you can be okay. You know, if you take the proper steps to get to where you need to be, um, is it going to be easy? Probably not. You know, I mean, it's, it was never an easy battle, you know, in my 18th year on the force when everything just started to fall apart. I mean, everything, I mean, you name it, it was just going bad for me. And I, I stuck to my guns and said, you know, I, I can't, I can't quit. I can't give up. I can't just turn my back, you know, cause how's that going to look for me personally, professionally as a parent, you know, or whatever else, you know, all these, all these excuses that I had that I couldn't quit and I just couldn't give up, you know, and I just never did. So and that was well, on, top, on top of that as well, too. I mean, it's no, it's no wonder why, you know, and I just ran a commercial yesterday, you know, in regard to that sharing about mental health with like suicide to where, you know, a lot of individuals don't realize that more law enforcement officers die by suicide in a year than that of in the line of duty deaths. And that's sad. That's really sad. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, people have that passion about going out there and making that difference to where is the, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And it's those same individuals that, because there's really no hint there to anybody, you know, so many smiles hide you know, depressing lives or, you know, everybody just bottles things inside because they don't think anybody else will understand. And, you know, again, you know, this book, you exposing the fact that, Hey, I have been there. I do understand what you're going through. It's important because it's going to be that one thing that does make someone comfortable to say, Hey, somebody else has been where I've been, you know, and step out and talk about that rather than feeling like nobody's there and everything else too, which goes back to what we were just talking about as far as being exposed to something, not knowing what that measure is, you know, it's the, so. And that's tough. I mean, that's tough for our community. I mean, it's, and I'm not just going to limit it to the first responder community, but talking about the veterans and, Lots of other folks. I mean, the whole whole long list of people that I can't even mention um, that are all going through their own personal struggles, whatever that is. I had a guy, Nat and I were talking about on the way home. Um, I was munching on some, on some grub on the way home on the train, and this guy got on the train. He was wearing a mask, and he was giving me, like, the worst dirty look ever taking his head because I wasn't wearing one. You know, and she pointed out, she goes, well, you don't know what's going on in this guy's life that he maybe had somebody die from COVID or he's caught it and now he's sick and now he's recovering or whatever else, you know. So, you know, immediately passing judgment because that guy's struggling with whatever it is, uh, that's that's not your role. You know, be understanding and say, instead of being confrontational like we'd like to do in, in the first responder community so much, you know, take a step back and show some compassion and show some, some love to this guy, maybe, you know, and if it's one of those things where you're not going to be able to fix him, Hey, you know what? That's, that's not on you anymore. You, you made your effort to, to try. Um, and then, you know, in my case, 
I don't give up. I mean, I don't give up on, on anybody. Never have, never will. Um, so if I've got somebody that's, you know, like I got a good buddy back in Phoenix and a couple of weeks ago, he's like, yeah, man, we're, we're back into the, back into the fight. We're, we're getting out there. We're chasing bad guys and stuff. And then he had a Lieutenant kind of backdoor him a little bit. And now he's back into the hole what he was before. Yeah. I'm going to go hide under my tree. I'm not going to do anything. I gave up my rifle and I'm not going to, not going to, you know, I'm not going to deploy. I'm not going to do anything. And, you know, I've known this kid since, since his very first day solo was when I met him and just fell in love with him because, because of how he was. And I'm, and I'm constantly in his ear and I'm like, don't forget who you were when you got on, man. Don't let these guys control what you do in your life on the street. And, you know, and they don't care. You're a number. Are you doing it for them? Or are you doing it for you? You know? And um, he calls me all the time. We're always bantering back and forth and stuff. And, I, I refuse to give up on him because he's such a talented cop and he's so passionate about it. I'm like, dude, you, you've got so much to give. Don't give up just because you don't agree with what's going on in your life. You know? So. And, I, and that's the thing though, too, with like seed packets, you know, you can have a whole packet of seeds and, you know, you can just keep throwing those seeds out there. There's just going to be that one that actually, you know, breaks the sprout and actually, you know, sets in and grows to where, you know, they'll be able to sit back and be like, I remember Chris told me this. Now I know what he's talking about. Be able to take your follow-up of those other seeds that you planted with that and progress forward and, you know, have that little seedling, you know, sprout to, you know, a whole new life. You know, and that's why I always use that phrase, reinventing life. Everything I do is to reinvent somebody's life regardless, you know, whether it's just a, their view on one aspect of life or, you know, their whole path, literally. You know what I mean? It's just sometimes it just takes that one little small step to reinvent your own life to in a positive manner, you know, you know, it's just, you've done, you've done great things and what you're doing right now is just stacking up on that, you know, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. I'm sure there's a bunch of guys out there. I think I'm probably full of it, you know, and that's, and I love that too. I mean, I want, I want guys to tell me, Hey dude, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Okay. Well then tell me, educate me because I want to know what I can do to make myself better. So I can make other people better, whatever that is, you know. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm all over criticism. Please, I mean, hit me with whatever. I keep saying that over and over. I know that, but uh, oh, I love it. You know, I mean, crit criticism is like, you know, a lot. A lot of people can't even really take correction. You know, a lot of people don't like to be criticized. But I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for me being receptive of the criticism. You know, it's the I grew up sleeping under a bridge. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, hey, you're full of shit. You're full of shit," but. You know, just like my business is titled, you know, truth, reality under the headline. You see so many people preaching certain things, but, you know, they're just trying to fit in for the moment. They don't even know what they believe in. They don't know what they're following. You know, you right. see a lot of businesses just crash and burn because they lost focus on what their mission and vision was. And it's the, you know, I went from sleeping under a bridge to, you know, all the different successes that I have today. And, you know, a lot of people think that, oh, hey, you're arrogant and stuff like that. But, you know, I live a simple life. I mean, I don't even, I mean, the luxuries that, you know, I do receive are spent pushing other people forward. You know, I'll fund for other individuals to start their business, chase their dreams because their success, I'm, I'm going to be a part of that flourishing with them, regardless if I'm with them all the way or not. I'll know that that little seed that I planted and pushing them forward, A, you know, impacted them to where they can live a positive life for themselves, their family and everything else too. I can take individuals like yourself and see and know that, thousands, millions of people need to understand what this book entails and the benefit of and how many lives could be saved in a law enforcement community, military community, by just sitting here understanding 
that, hey, look, we can all relate to this. We all joined the core. We all joined the law enforcement. We all became EMT, you know, everything, that whole line of progression to where we can know why we joined a certain path or a career of how much of that passion about it tells us about ourselves. And we'll be able to flourish with that, you know, and that's my success is other people being able to do that. And I know you share that same passion and everything else. It's, it's evident. And, you know, the, you can tell in your tone and, you know, the passion that you have about this book, your stories and, you know, how you just want other people to flourish, man. I mean, it's evident, right? you know. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. So, all right. What do you think? You going? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Let's rock is, that, is, is that, is that the, uh, uh, forward by uh, Colonel Lieutenant Dave. There it is. It is. Yep. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. I got to order. I got to order that one. By the way. Yeah. There's uh, there's four new chapters at the back um, that I I think we talked about this a lot that I just completely flaked out. I don't know why they never got put in there. Um, Natalie. <laughs> yeah, I know she's partially to blame, but um, she keeps me in check. And she was she was dreading it when I wrote those four new stories. She's like, oh god, I got to start this all over again, you know, and do more editing for you. She's got her own major projects going on too. Um, I won't reveal anything now, but she's actually writing her story as we speak, right, right now. Um, which hopefully, well, there's no hopefully because I'm going to whip her into shape. She's supposed to have hers done by Thanksgiving and out and ready to go. So if she has time, because you know, I wrote a book, Truth. You know, this whole like business, everything else is about too. And like each chapter is a different part of that to where, I mean, if she has an email or something like that, or I could actually mail you the actual uh, digital format of everything else too. I mean, I'll pay her and everything else. Right. It's the, I, I would love, you know, somebody, and especially after reading your book and seeing the job she did on your book, I would love to have someone of her caliber, you know, I'd be, it'd be an honor to have her, you know, read my manuscript and kind of, you know, tweak it and do the editing and things like that, so I can actually put it into fruition and stuff. It's pretty expensive, man. I'm not gonna lie. She, you know, she's it's, like, she wants like ninety percent and stuff, and then I gotta cook dinner and make the bed. What is that? You know, it's it, it well, it's worth it. I mean, because you know, realistically, you know, what what I do is just so that others are able to flourish. It's like right. so. What I did was I did single videos that you know touched on chapters. Sometimes. You know, it was a couple days to where, you know, people got a taste of what the chapter was about. But, you know, so I have all 24 chapters within the book and tells different things. It has all my poetry and everything else in it as well that kind of tells the story. But that'd be something that she could either take it out, put it in and things like that as well, too. But I mean, I would love to have her edit this book and <clears throat> make it happen. Whereas the, I'm not doing it for the royalties. I'm doing it for the message that you know I provide to others so they can kind of look at themselves, look at their businesses and know that hey, this is where I want to be and here's the steps to do it. Yeah, I can't I can't speak for her. I'm sure that she probably would, but that's exactly why she took mine on board because when she read it, she was like, We're you know for me and she was giving me all kinds of grief because I was sending it out to all my friends on email and stuff. And she's like, You need to knock that off because we're gonna turn this into something special. And I'm going, Okay. And you know, God bless her. She was she couldn't have been more right, you know, and now now that it's something in my hand, I, mean, I still can't believe it. It's like, wow. You know? um, and I've never doubted myself that way, but it just never, it just, I can never picture it being being done. You know what I mean? And now that it is, it's been over a year. Um, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, it's just absolutely one of the greatest accomplishments of my life, short of, you know, being a, being a parent and then surviving a 20-year career. You know, this is 
something that's never going to go away, you know, for the rest of my life, which is this fusion. I mean, she tells me all the time she's encouraging everybody that you know, uh, write your story because everybody in the world's got a story. Whether it goes to print or you just do it for yourself or what have you, you know, sit down and write your memoirs because chances are somebody out there is going to benefit from that, even if it's just you. You know what I mean? So. Well, not even just that, though, because now that your story's in print, now because of individuals reading your story, you know, making the alterations in their life or taking a different course because they've seen what you've been through and they don't want it for themselves or for their family. Now, ultimately, you're a part of their story. Yeah. You know? and Which is huge. I love that. I absolutely love that, that people reach out to me and they want to share their experiences compared to mine, and which is like, Yes, please, please do. You know, I mean, I just I dig that. You know, so especially when they're life saving stories. You know, but um, but okay, really gonna go this time. Yes, sir. Yes, Great. Sir. All right, here we go. So, all right, from carpet layer to cop. Uh, Twenty six years old. I was married and running a small construction company out west, flooring repair. Um, the work was not what I would um, consider rewarding, but being a small business owner was pretty cool. Uh, paid the bills. I had a four-year-old daughter, an angel of a girl with the future of greatness in mind. Uh, life was progressing as it should. So one boring day in 1996, I got a call from a prospective client. Can you fix a mess in my entryway? He asked. Sure, I'll be right over, I responded eagerly. Uh, after two weeks of negotiating, we reached a deal and he finally agreed to hire me. When we met face-to-face, -face, he seemed a little surprised. Uh, where's your boss, he asked. Uh, shouldn't I be speaking with him? In other words, how old are you? Uh, well, sir, that's me, I replied. Uh, I assume my crew leader introduced himself properly. You're the boss, he smiled, shaking my hand. Yes, sir. Two days and two weeks later, uh, the work was complete. Um, the man paid me for a, a job well done, and then he made a comment that changed the tra trajectory of my life, both personally and professionally. He goes, uh, you're a, tra tra a tra terrific individual. You should be a cop. I can't speak, but I can, you know, I can write a story. So said, so you should be a cop. I said, hey, me? Okay. Uh, as simple as it was, the comment made me think, and honestly, it was not hard, not a hard decision to make. Considering I was getting pretty sick of rolling around in carpet soaked in disgusting unmentionables, it was backbreaking work that I could not picture myself when I was doing 40 years old, not to mention the damage it was doing to my knees and even worse, my back. For the first time in my life, I began setting goals for myself and believe it. And I believe it made all the difference in the long run. Um, Speaking of long run, on his new path to pursue a career in law enforcement, the endless hours of study began, and so did the running. It was all in, prep in preparation for the upcoming written and physical exam. I was fully confident that I had it in the bag until I walked into the massive room at the Civic Center filled with 1,200 other officer candidates. Then it hit me. Yeah, right. I have no chance here. I almost walked out, all six foot one, 140 pounds of me. I really want to do this, right? Find a seat, sit down, shut up, and listen closely. A gruff voice boomed like a cannon from the front of the room. From there, we officer candidates sat quietly, listening intently to a motivational speech about how great a career in law enforcement could be. The words ricocheted off the walls and into our ears and hearts. It was very uplifting. Obviously, the force behind it was by design, a way to get us fired up and motivated to do some serious soul searching. All the while, I nonchalantly sized up my competition, as I suspect most of the other candidates did. There are lots of military types, uh, surely the first to be selected, and why wouldn't they be? What, I, what had I done to earn that spot? 
There are other types present as well. Uh, one guy looked to be about 127 years old. Another guy looked like he hadn't graduated high school yet. Uh, I don't think the guy in the will work for sex t-shirt is going to uh, score any points with this group. It was funny, though. I'll give him that. God only knows what these guys are thinking about me. Uh, on the outside, I look more like a tweaker than a cop. Nevertheless, I was there amongst all the rest of the hopeful, and that was my first fight in law enforcement. A contest for a career and for a purpose. I couldn't help but think maybe, just maybe, I might make this work. And I had no idea the the direction that I was going to go and the impact that that one particular day that I decided to stick it out and go, you know what? You know, I did. I did. I seriously sat there and thought, man, maybe, you know, maybe I can make this work, you know, and um, of the 1200 that were in that room that particular day, only that entire year between 90, 96 and 97, respectively, only a hundred guys graduated from the Academy in a year. So of that twelve hundred, I was one of uh, one of a hundred. So like, wow. And, and how, how much do you think that you know individuals not knowing what they want for themselves, or not even knowing why they were in that room? Like, you know, again, the book you were explaining about what led up to you being in that room with the twelve hundred individuals. You knew why you were there. You knew what you wanted for yourself. You know, even if in the beginning it was just for you know, driving real fast and chasing bad guys, you knew what you wanted for yourself. You knew the career that you wanted for yourself. And, you know, a lot of people going in, oh, you know, it's just like people that go get jobs. You know, a lot of individuals get stuck in jobs that, you know, they're unhappy with, but then all of a sudden they're stuck in that same job 12 years down the road and they just don't know why they're there because it's the, they never knew why they were going in there filling the application out in the first place. Yeah. You knew why you were there and, that's why like passion a lot of times will get people a lot further than the not knowing about well, I'm here. I'll just try it out, you know, and then you're just trying it out five years, 50 years later, you know? So, yeah. Well, you know, I talk about, you know, and I didn't realize it until way, way, way later on down the road, but <clears throat> you know, the idea to do this was, was set. I mean, I knew that this was something that was, you know, very career oriented, uh, career minded, you know, long term, all these great, all these great reasons why you want to do this short of the chasing bad guys, which was really the true, you know, backbone of it all. Um, but it was a fight. And when I looked back on that, when I started, when I started doing all my writing and stuff like that, um, when I started trying to pick out a title, um, I recognized that that was just like I mentioned just now, that was the first in the fight of a career filled with purpose. You know, and that fight never stopped. And people hear the word fight and they think, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Fighting for a purpose was exactly why I was there. And that was huge. And I, I didn't recognize that fully at the time because I was so wrapped up and I just want to get out there and just, just do my thing. But it ended up being one of the greatest decisions I ever made in my entire life. So, awesome. And it, you know, it plays a role. Okay, so scrolling at the bottom right now is if any of the viewers would like to pick up a paperback copy of Chris's book, When That Day Comes, Training for the Fight. And then here in a second, I'll give you guys some time to write that down. I'll put up the, the audio version and also the, the, Dave Gro the Colonel Lieutenant Dave Grossman forward and endorsement as well, too. 
I mean, it's the, you know, I myself have to get that book, you know, the four extra chapters and everything else. So now let me ask you that in regards to that. So the four extra chapters at the end, does it touch base on anything that was the prequel to the book or was it, you know, really kind of the end, like a, an after everything happened and an after of this ending? Is it an add-on or is it a kind of a filler that, you know, goes into the rest of the book? You know what I mean? It was, it was a little bit of both. Um, so one of the major things that I failed to do was, was recognize in greater detail the dispatchers. And um, the lady that was running our scene that particular day that Dave was killed, um, literally we got hired in the same month back in 1997. And when she was barely solo, she worked her first officer down. Um, that, it, that was the first one we had in eight years, which is, I mean, looking back on it, it's pretty amazing that it, that it was that long. Um, so she was brand spanking new. I think she was maybe still on probation. I'm not even, I can't even remember exactly, but, um, that was her first triple nine. And she was, you know, pretty much like this going, I, I can't do this, you know, fast forward, you know, 17 years later, whatever it was, 16 years later, now she's in it all over again with Dave. And I never knew her, um, before when Mark was killed back in 1999. Um, but of course I did know her with, with Dave, uh, cause I'd been up there, you know, I had to do some training and stuff with these guys and, and so forth. So I kind of knew her before and she'd been on our radio channel, of course, pretty much every day for a long time. And so when I recognized all the things that she had to go through, just like I did, you know, it hit me. I was like, why, you know, why I was being so selfish and forgetful and not putting those folks in this thing as well for all of the things that, um, you know, for, for us, it's great. It's easy. It's, you know, we can see and touch and smell and, and thump and do all these great things. And sometimes I forget that, man, these, these ladies and, and guys up they're up in the radio room, they don't have the opportunity to see what we see. We're, we're basically, you know, they're our lifeline for us and it's through a headset pretty much or a keyboard they don't get to see what we see or anything else so for me it's got to be that for me that's an impossible job that i could never do or i you know i don't get to to go hands-on and, and do the kinds of things that i love to do and for those guys to be able to do that every day and put up with guys like me on the radio screaming all day long you know it's like man so i just throw well, that so up for them so well, another thing too that I touched on, you know, on that commercial that I did yesterday as well, that a lot of people don't realize that I mean, it's a special, it's it's a different kind of animal to be a dispatcher. I mean, you got to figure these individuals, whether it's nine one one, whether they're working at you know for the EMS or you know just for you know, the different uh, respective law enforcement agencies, these individuals are taking, I mean, frantic calls. I mean day after day, one after the other, you know, and all the, all the while, you know, maintaining their composure that way they can keep the caller calm to find out what is going on, find out their location. And then, you know, in getting the proper departments dispatched out to them. And then they may be speaking to a child. They may be speaking to, you know, a domestic dispute to where an individual's, you know, having their brains beat in and, they dispatch the respective parties to go out. And what happens after that phone call, Chris? They don't know what yeah. happens with that call. They don't know if that person's okay. They don't know, 
how it ended. So they're playing a hundred different scenarios in their mind. All the while, the phone rings again, and they take that other one. Right. You know, and, and I, I myself, I can't even pretend to imagine, you know, what goes through their mind of what they take home with them, or you know, what plays in their mind when they try to sleep, if they're even able to sleep. It's it's, yeah, that's, a, that's it's a special it's a special human being to be able to do that. I I, I can't imagine not only that, but a lot of the protocol stuff that I wasn't aware of that. You know, as soon as, like in our particular case, um, I wrote about it where our radio was shut down for two solid minutes, you know, and she couldn't hear, she couldn't type, she couldn't do anything. And we talked about it in great detail after the fact that she, very much like I and a lot of the other guys that were on that scene, she just completely locked up herself, you know. And so, luckily, my agency was, was pretty heads up with these kinds of things. So they recognized that. Um, when something like this happens, when a major critical incident like this happens, they assign a scribe right away, which I think is just ingenious. So what the scribe does is it stands over behind whoever it is, the, the, the guy or the gal, and just writes stuff down so they can read it. Hey, ask this question. Hey, take a deep breath. Hey, close your eyes. You know, relax a little bit. You know, ask this question. What about this? And these kinds of things. And what that does is that's, I mean, literally like a, an angel on their shoulder, a mentor right there in the mix of it all that that's not involved, but they're right there with them and say, okay, because now the dispatchers, I mean, this is a lot of people don't realize that once you hit that emergency tone, you're committed. You can't leave. You're, you're there because you know more than anybody else is going to know on that particular call. And you are now the last line of defense, you know, for that communication and, so many guys, I mean, I know I've got a lot of really close friends that treat the dispatchers like shit. And it really upsets me when they do that. I was like, dude, they're doing a job just like we are, you know, and you get pissed off because they're having a bad day and you're not getting what you think you need or whatever else. Well, you know, I joke about it with some of my friends, you know, it's like, oh, you want that DV call? Oh, you want that accident? Oh, you want that freaking juvenile, whatever? Oh, there you go. And this kind of stuff. So it's like, and I'm not saying be nice not to get those kinds of calls, but you know if you're if you're nice on the radio, chances are you're probably going to get a lot more, a lot more better results versus you know you're that freaking asshole that nobody wants to deal with. It's like, well, well that tow truck, yeah, I got called. Oh yeah, sorry, I guess we never got it sent out to you. This kind of thing. These things happen. I mean, they they laugh about it, but it's all true. We know that. All right. Um, that was. That was you better way for you to get your lose your mind. All of a sudden, they, they act like they can't hear you and hang up on you. So then you got to call back and say, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." And of course, you know the one of the big radio responses is ten nine, which means repeat. Mm-hmm. So you get guys that are as clear as clear as a bell all day long, and you're like ten nine. Was that was that unit clearing? And of course, we get on the radio. Is that a one on one clearing a female? <laughs> this kind of stuff. So you know, and it's just this cop stuff, first responder shit that we just do all the time. Mostly, it's out of good good humor, but. Um, when you have these critical incidents, like I said, there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, a lot of guys don't know, don't want to know, or just don't care or what have you. I was always on the side of, man, you know what? I may be the last person or she may be, or he may be the last person I ever talked to, you know, on the radio, literally, you know, do I want to treat that person like shit? Do I want them thinking to myself, that was a prick, you know, and now he's dead. You know, and I don't, I don't want that freaking, I don't want that weighing on their conscience. You know, it's like, well, 
at least Hoyer was a pain in the ass, but at least he was a cool dude, you know, or whatever. So, um, I can't see what that is here. So, I'm just putting that up there about the the thing I put up there about the Dave Grossman's book at, at the bottom. You'll see the with the forward by Lieutenant uh, Colonel Dave Grossman. You know, individuals if they want to get that book there, that's where they can order it from Amazon. The forward from Dave Grossman and your Audible books there as well. So, right on. So going back a little bit, I'll talk about, um, I'm not going to read it, of course, now, but chapter 50 is uh, Seed. And that talks about my, my upbringing and how I, I just got out of uh, CPR class and health. I was a freshman in high school and ended up having to save a, a neighbor and not understanding at the time that, that that seed was probably planted in me at, you know, 14 or 15 years old or whatever it was, you know, and it's like, wow, looking back on it, you know, maybe that had something to do with the career path that I chose. I mean, who knows? How, for sure. how many, how many times did, you know, during your career, did you actually have to perform CPR? Not very many, believe it or not. Um, a few, unfortunately for the guys that I had to shoot, um, I had to do there, which is a whole another conversation. Um, very, I mean, miraculously somehow, I don't know how, depending on how you look at it, it was really good. Um, never had to, um, try to save, a, you know, a drowning baby or stuff like that, which I'm so thankful for, but there were several, you know, mostly it was on the, on the more violent side of shooting victims and these kinds of things where I'd have to do it. So I'd say in all reality, probably 15 or 20 times, which I think is a pretty low number, all things considered. But so, and then the next chapter um, was actually dedicated to uh, two of my close friends. One was that I was just talking about earlier. Um, it's called uh, "If I Had Known," um, and they're talking about stuff like if I had known that other people were going through similar situations, I would probably have not turned to pills or attempted suicide or alcohol, these kinds of things. And they were very, very much like a lot of folks, folks probably are right now sitting here in the audience going, nobody understands. And this is exactly what they were talking about where they said the exact same thing. They're like, nobody understands what I'm going through. Yeah. Well, believe me when I tell you, a whole lot more people have been through a whole lot of stuff that they completely understand. They may not know your exact mentality, but they've been there and they've got the steps that you can take at least to get you started on the right path, you know? So that was a huge one for me as well. Um, do you want, do you want to read one of the extra uh, chapters? And touch uh, base on it? I mean, if, if it's something that's in correlation of like everything that, you know, we're going to cover in these coming pages i mean i kind of rather have you know one of those edit chapters read that way as you're reading through these other chapters you know we'll know that end part or if you want to keep it in the end on the sequence as it is yeah no we can i'll throw in the uh, if i had known because that one really wasn't for me i mean that one was for my two buddies and i asked both of them i said would you guys mind if i quoted you in the book and they're like are you kidding why would we say no to that you know kind of thing. they don't know each other at all uh, one is from one agency uh, up north. One was from uh, my agency down down in the valley. So, um, but very very compelling individuals. Both of them, I love them both to death. They're just they're awesome awesome folks. And um, so, so this was a uh, chapter fifty one. It's called "If I Had Known." So, 
I've heard from friends, colleagues, and even strangers that they are alone in their struggles and that no one understands their problems. This topic is specifically related to first responders, mostly cops. A very dear friend of mine put it like this. I wish I had known I wasn't alone in my fight. If someone had told me they had been there through the same traumas, maybe it would have made it a little easier. Profound realization. You must remember that when you are suffering from the effects brought on by the kinds of events our community experiences daily, it is, an ex it is extremely difficult to get distance. Step outside your world and grasp the reality of how to, how to heal. There's endless nagging of the endless nagging question of why. After the gunfight that took David, I would later discover after much therapy that I was the poster child for this brand of trauma. When first responders take on the innate or rescuer in their community, they struggle in the worst way when they are unsuccessful in saving lives. Perhaps the word unsuccessful is not the proper expression. Uh, but I hesitate to use the word failure. The fact is, when the worst of the worst happens, it takes a toll on the first responder's body. It is unavoidable and oftentimes unexpected, since we are supposed to be the strong ones. Healing starts in the knowing that this uh, this is to be expected, and that a lot of others have been through it too. That does not mean it is not exceptionally important for us for us to take care of oneself. Another of my closest friends asked this question. Uh, why do we find it okay to ask for backup assistance on the street during a call, but we refuse to ask for help in our personal life? Great question. Uh, the RoboCop mindset, are we too tough to seek help? My thought, how can I ask for help when I made a career out of helping others? If you're not okay, uh, there's little chance of you helping others, at least to the level that they deserve. If you take on the, uh, the role of a professional first responder, but give a half-ass half assessment or investigation to someone calling for help, you need to stop and examine your wellness. If it's out of laziness, that's a whole other topic. Uh, if it's because you cannot focus based on your own emotional struggles, you're not doing anyone any good, least of all yourself. Now, this is surely not news to anyone out there. The burning question, however, is how do we fix ourselves? Well, the first step, of course, is to lay down the armor and accept some sort of defeat. We are tough. Uh, cops and firefighters alike, and we... And few will doubt our abilities or else we would be doing something less dangerous with our career. But long after the mental toughness has been mastered, the emotional side of things starts rearing its ugly head. This is where we need to recognize that help is needed. Ask for it, please. I absolutely assure you that help, the help you need is there and it will, if nothing else, set you free in a forward moving trajectory. Does that make you weak? Not even remotely. If anything, it makes you far stronger than those who claim to be all right when the world knows damn well they're not. Uh, and if you're worried about the uh, the appearance of being weak, the question is, is this, who is looking? I decided long ago that I would not waste my energy and or attention on those who I do not respect, particularly if they have a poor opinion about me. If you pay no attention to your critic, uh, you take away their reason and they lose interest fast. It's just that simple. Instead, give yourself a break. Uh, escape your daily duties for a short spell. I'm guessing by the time you need help, uh, you'll have the job down pat. Don't worry about losing your edge. Take as much time off as you need. I can tell you from personal experience that that edge you need for this job comes back and it comes back quickly. Uh, if you take if you take care of yourself, not only that, but when you get back to work, you're feeling better. Uh, you get your confidence back along with the joy of the job. You start to remember why you made this leap to begin with. And yes, it is all worth it. Uh, I dedicate this chapter to uh, my dear friends, Chrissy Tosinga and Barry McKinley. Chrissy is a law enforcement officer through and through, a survivor. 
she is now dedicating her time making sure uh, other survivors are aware that they are not alone in their fight. Barry BMAC, as I like to call him, is one of the most talented officers I have worked with in my career in law enforcement. He too is a survivor and an advocate for alcohol dependency in law enforcement. Carry on, my warrior friends. So that's awesome. It is. It's awesome. I mean, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad you read that before the rest of the book, realistically. Yeah. I'm serious. I mean, because that, that just puts it in tail as far as the, again, you stepping into law enforcement, you making the decision to have that career because, again, the why part. Again, right. you know, you making, you being one of those 100 out of that 1,200 because you knew why you were there. You know, that passion or, hey, I want to help people. And one of the greatest points you made there was in regard to the, well, hey, if I myself can't be okay. How am I going to make everybody else okay or ensure that everybody else is okay? Right. You know, I mean, you, Chris, and I were, you know, talking about that as well, too, as far as the, you know, the strength of mental health to where, you know, if we want to help people, if we're not okay, and then the more we pretend that we're okay, the more damaging we're going to, you know, do to ourselves because that next incident may be the one that just, you know, blows you over the top or, you know, is that boiling point, everything else as well. So it's yeah. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, denial steps in and you're like, yeah, no, I'm good. And then, you know, it, you start to realize that you're shutting down on so many different levels, you know, and that's that's not fair to the people that you're out there serving in community for, you know, and if you truly believe that you want to help people, um, you're failing them. You are. You just truly are. And, you know, the citizens that you wear that badge for deserve better. And then how, how much of your career, I'm not going to say that you didn't ask for help or, I mean, because you, I know, I know a lot of what you recognize now was because of, you know, the, what you were exposed to during your career. But, you know, were there moments that you held back from seeking that help or from talking to someone that kind of brought this realization that, hey, I wish I would have spoken to somebody, you know, long ago about these. Because yeah. I, I know that, you know, when, like with your critical incidents, how, you know, a second part to that question is, you know, how much, like, like after your first critical incident, because of you having to see the review board and, you know, everything else that goes on with critical incidents, okay, of, because of, I'm not going to say it was lashback, but because of that, that doubt that others put on the table, even though they're just trying to clear everything and make sure there was, you know, a good incident, you know, did it cause any hesitation on trusting or reaching out to somebody else or admitting that, you know, shit was going on in your mind? You know what I mean? Or Right. You know what? To be honest with you, that, that first one, um, it was as, as strange as it sounds, it was textbook. It really was. And um, when I do my presentations and I, I show what that scene, you know, for, for Dave Glasser, what that scene looked like and all of the stuff that we we had to do to make it through that, you know, tactically, I'm going to just use that word only just for this portion of it. Um, I realized that the guys that trained me freaking trained me damn good. They trained me up to the up to the hilt. And when I look back on that very first shooting, I got into back in. 2000, um, I realized that these guys completely set me up for success, 100%. I was just fortunate enough to take it to the next level. 
And again, playing that what if game when it came to the time when, you know, I, I went to that use of force continuum in about a second and realized that, you know, I've, I've got to take care of business here. Um, and I did. And it was very, very strange, tactically, you know, directed kind of a scene. It was really strange. I'll, I'll read that whole story in the next next go around, whatever that is. Um, one of those things that you would never really have thought about up until it's like, well, that's, that's the one thing I probably would, would have never figured that was going to ever happen. Um, but even uh, all that aside, when it was all said and done and I was, I was sitting in the trailer, um, uh, talking to the, it ended up being the uh, internal affairs lieutenant. And I think I wrote, hopefully I wrote this part of the story and I asked him straight up, I go, you know, boss, this is my first, my first shooting. I, does it look good? And he was super heads up and he's like, yeah, looks good. You know, and of course now I'm looking back on this is exactly what I would do where all he was doing was downplaying it to make me calm. And it was like, yeah, dude, you're good. But then he, he reiterated, he goes, look, you did this, you did this, you did this, and you did this. He goes, you did everything you could do. And when it finally came down to where you had no other choice, you took care of business. Now he did joke. He go, and he, he threw that in there on purpose as well, because of the two rounds that I fired, I missed one out of two from about three feet away. He goes, well, you could have probably done better on that second shot, but all things considered, you know, it, it still took care of business. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, that's, that's why you don't take that shot beyond 15 yards. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, because of all of what I just said, that whole big, long recap right there, because I knew that I was trained right, I knew that I had, I had taken it to the next level. I knew that I had been supported by the brass um, I knew that it wasn't, this is a huge part. It wasn't my decision to take this guy's life. He made that decision. And at the time when I was being interviewed, I, I said it just like this. I said, you know what? You, you messed with the wrong guy. You wanted to challenge a guy that's got more training and more ability to take care of business than you do. And you lost. And I looked at it from that standpoint and I'm like, you know what? I mean, again, this wasn't my, wasn't my fault. Did I respond to the call? Yeah. Did I find a guy? Yeah. Did I, did I, engage him yeah did he pull a gun on me yeah you know so that was all on him i mean he didn't have to do that he could have given up just like so many other things that are going on right now in the world if you guys just give up and comply there's a high probability you're either just going to go home safe or you can fight it out later in court but you want to fight and scream and yell and 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 throw rocks and guns and everything else at us what do you expect us to do we're not going to sit there with our hands behind our back and let you shoot us no we're gonna we're gonna fight back and that's what we have been trained to do you know and knowing all that even with only two years on i recognize that you know what i did everything pretty much to the letter of the law correctly and with all that after making laboring to make my point i apologize um i never had any ill effects from what happened did somebody lose their life yeah that was tragic but it was one of those things where it's like, look, man, I've got a family to go home to. You probably do too. You made the choice to not go home to your family, and I'm not going to let you beat me. So, hundred percent. You know, and you don't know how many arguments that I get in with people about the whole comply thing. Everybody's like, oh, you know, that's just BS. You know, they're not. You know, pe people have this mindset again, like you and Chris, you Chris and I were talking about as far as the, you know, how much media, you know, plays into that to where. You know, I, I don't tolerate, you know, I speak on facts. I speak on numbers. Numbers don't lie. You know, and that was actually last week sometime I was arguing with somebody because, 
you know, like in 2018, you know, Phoenix had more officer-involved shootings than New York, and I mean, it was like 600, like within an eight-year span from 2011 to 2018, it was like 678 shootings or something like that. And I was like, well, and kind of when, uh, who was it? Who were we on the show with? I, th I think it was the show that it was uh, Ray Bashir's, you and myself, and we were talking about culture, you know, because it's one of the things that is completely disregarded by a lot of individuals to where it's, you know, when you look at the culture of, you know, what law enforcement officers are exposed to and the environment in which, you know, they have to provide the services in the communities that they serve, you know, it, it changes. So, you know, what, what you faced when you, you know, were on the streets every day would not be the same as that of, you know, somebody that's up in Montana that might have, you know, 10 run-ins in a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? So where right, something's right. happening every day and you look at the criminal statistics, that's what you have to look at. Not what the, the news is feeding you like, oh my God, you know, these cops are hating people. It's like, get out of here, man. It's, well, that's uh, obviously we all know if it bleeds, it leads. That's their, that's their mentality. And of course, they're only, you know, this is something I'm dealing with right now as we speak with my, my new agency. You know, they're, they hired me knowing full well that I'm not a baton instructor. And I, I'm pointing out, go again? Yeah, that's what it looks <laughs> like, right? So I'm trying to point out to them that, you know, the baton, you know, God bless the guys that created it. And for, for a, I think, probably about four seconds, it was a great tool. I think it's completely useless. I have no love for it whatsoever. All it does for me, uh, the only thing I ever used it for was a door, a knock on doors. It was great for that. But when you, especially with the expandables, you know, when you rip that thing out of your, out of the holder, what does it look like? And then you come back like this, how does that look in, in public, you know? And that's what the media is going to show. They're not going to show that this guy ran, he tried to run over three different people he jumped out of the car, he carjacked somebody else, you know, he pulled a gun, he freaking pistol whipped somebody, all these kinds of things. All they're showing is this guy with the baton going, you know, and they, that looks really bad. And I hate, I hate the baton. I really do. But this is sometimes the, the, the tool we've got to use to take care of business. But they're not going to show the 15 minutes prior to, well, we can't do that because, you know, we're editing up. And that's bullshit. Because if you wanted to, you would have shown two seconds here, two seconds here, two seconds here versus 30 seconds of the cops, you know, freaking wailing on this dude, you know, when he's just an innocent victim laying on the ground, going, oh, no, please stop. Uh, yeah. Well, you just committed like 14 felonies, dude, and you, now you just want to give up. Um, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so, the, yeah, that's the thing, though, too, is like, you know, I, you know, there, there's, there's good and bad in it all, but, you know, the, the good always, always, always outweighs the, the number of individuals that are out there just, you know, destroying people or are intentionally, you know, just bashing somebody down. Like you look back in the old Keystone Caper days where they had freaking baseball bats for the batons, you know, they were, they were teeing off on people for real back then. It was like, okay. Yeah. But, but in, in the same sense, it's like, it looks like complete violence, but when you have somebody that's, you know, under the influence to where two or three good wax, you know, isn't doing it. So it takes that four or five, you know, and, <clears throat> and all what's, what's excessive, you know, like you just said, you know, if somebody's flailing a gun or a knife or, you know, so many other civilians lives are at risk, 
you know, is, is me, you know, smacking this clown upside the head, you know, worth the benefit of me saving the other individual's life? And 100% or, of the time, every time is going to be yes, you know. Or if the guy escapes, what's he, what's he going to do then, you know? Um, I, I should probably read the story. I didn't, I, I keep forgetting to throw it in there, but my partner and I, we, we fought this guy. He was 57 years old. He's a little tiny dude, you know, and it looked really bad because you got two kind of hulky white dudes stumping on this little Mexican guy who was, you know, a, practically a senior citizen. But when it was, <laughs> I mean, seriously, but when it was all said and done, I got I got to remind you about that one too after this one. Um, but the guy, when we first go contact him, um, he's got a felony warrant and he's also carrying drugs on him. And so we go to go hands on and the fight is on. I mean, the fight is on big time. And the first thing he does is reaches for a knife. We're able to, you know, we're fighting him, get the knife out of his hand. We get that chucked over. He's got another knife in his back pocket. He gets that one out of his pocket. So we're, you know, freaking doing the arm bars and all that stuff. We're starting to get him on the ground. Now in his other pocket, he's got a pair of freaking scissors. He pulls the scissors out of it, you know, and we're still trying to fight him. And get, and he's, he's a little dude, which I can't stand fighting the little guys. He's able to maneuver his arm back and he pulls the scissors out of his pocket. So now I've got to disarm him with the other scissors. Then his hat falls off. And he's able to, to break away and he dies for the hat. And he's got a razor blade in the freaking hat. Then he starts trying to slash at us with this freaking razor blade. And it's like, oh my God, this guy's got four weapons on him. Oh, like a cartoon. Yeah, it kind of was. And now, of course, you got two, two dudes and are thumping on this, this poor little old man, you know, who's wanted for a couple of different felonies. And it's like, well, I mean, I get it. It looks pretty bad. But, um, but even worse than that, okay, I got to tell you this really quick story. So we get this dude and we know that there's this thing going on in the neighborhood and we drive down there and sure enough, we find this guy and he's riding his bicycle down the street and he's probably 30 eh, ish, maybe something like that. And there's a girl who is 11 years old walking out of her carport, going to walk to school and the guy rides by on his bike and he basically, in so many, as, as quickly as it was, basically sexually assaults her right there in the driveway. It wasn't a full-blown rape or anything like that, but basically he's, he's grabbing onto her. And of course, we see him because we're all plain clothes. Well, groping is sexual assault. You know, Absolutely. Uh, trying to play on terms and stuff like that. Like, it, yeah, it, it's like, like, yeah, for people that don't understand, you know, and it's like, dude, this, this kid is like 11 years old, you know, and this guy obviously knows better. He's been doing this. We got a flyer on him. We found him on his bicycle. We, we tracked him for a couple of blocks, and he's waiting for a victim, and that's exactly what he found. But when we finally catch up to him, there's three of us, and we did the freaking people's elbow on this guy. I mean, it was, and it was one of those things where it was like eight o'clock in the morning, and there's literally cars in every direction at the intersection all stopped, and there's three cops, and we are beating the ever loving shit out of this guy. And if you didn't know the prior story to that, you'd be thinking, why does it take three cops to thump on this dude? And I mean, I'm not gonna lie. We we took some took some blows because he had it coming. He, I mean, you're gonna go freaking sexually assault a freaking eleven year old child. You need some love, bro. I'm sorry. Actually, no, I'm not sorry because that's if that was my kid, if it was your daughter or somebody else, and something like that happened, you'd expect us to do the same. But of course, that looks really bad. And we, you know, I mean, I I say we we thumped him. We did. It wasn't excessive. I mean, it took a lot of us to to get the guy into custody. But you know. This, that's again one of those things where people don't know the backstory and they just assume that we're out there just for blood. And sometimes, yeah, you do get excessive because you see something like that happen in front of your face and you're 
you you try as hard as you can to maintain that professionalism, but sometimes you you do have that parental emotion that takes over, and you're thinking that's my kid that he just assaulted, and now we're going to take care of business. And I, unfortunately, it does happen. Not justifying it or condoning it by any stretch of imagination, but these are the emotions that sometimes people forget that hey, man, we're we're regular people sometimes, and we've got emotions that we've got to that we've got to control too. So well, well, not only that, you know, because you know, I know a lot of law enforcement officers that have <clears throat> excuse me have been in situations like that but you know what what happens when people go to trial what happens you you have to show up to trial and you you have to take the stand right. you know and then so what happens is that you know I, I know a lot of officers that they took the stand and they were there for the verdict and everything else and you know you're seeing these people that you know because it's it, it's a kind of murder that's how i that's how i look at you know rape molestation you know it across the whole scale sex offense Across the scale is a form of murder. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, an individual may be able to, you know, with you know counseling and things like that, be able to overcome and be able to, you know, I guess enjoy quality of life. But you know, I know a lot of officers that have had to sit in that courtroom, you know, give testimony, had eyewitnesses, you know, have you know DNA. I mean, and then you know, watch them either walk or they walk away with a sentence of you know eighteen months for you know raping a kid that now it has to carry that the rest of their life right. never, never going to heal from it yeah they may get better and you know be able to function normally but that's still there you yeah, know that's in a way you know and so it's the that plays in your mind too so you know even having like the officers that they themselves may not have children or because you know any human being with a soul you know, is going to be able to take that into emotion of like just knowing what that what would have happened. You know, and you know, a lot of excessive force. That's where it plays into that mental health aspect of it. Of like what's really going on and like how personal we may take it. If I've been through something in my personal life, all of a sudden, you know, I'm apprehending, you know, a suspect, you know, for a specific crime that you know plays personally with what I've experienced. You know. You know, but then again, is that really excess? You know, right. did that person have it coming? It's just, you know, you're really never going to win because, you know, it's always going to be the people on the sideline like, well, you know, you, you're supposed to hold and hold yourself to a higher standard than other people. We yeah, have, but I'm still a human being. You know, I'm not, ro you know, I'm not RoboCop, you know. Maybe, maybe when AI takes over, you know, but outside of that, you know, if it's, and it, it happens. I mean, let's face it. I mean, nobody's perfect. I mean, I talked about this when I was some of the younger guys that, you know, don't know that that guy's wife just freaking got caught cheating on him or his daughter is in the hospital or whatever's going on. And he doesn't have an opportunity to take a day off from work for whatever reason, because the brass says, no, we don't care what's going on in your personal life. You need to be here because we're short staffed or whatever the situation is. And so, the last thing he's thinking about is this. He's not thinking about the freaking badge or being on the street. His mind is completely off the charts for whatever long list of reasons that happens to be. And now you factor in, you know, he hasn't slept in two days. He hasn't had a chance to take a, take a lunch break or his boss has chewed his ass. He just got off the freaking off the witness stand and a defense attorney's beating him up for whatever reason, you know, discrediting him on the stand. All these things are building and building and building. And then you've got, you know, Joe shit, the rag man that just takes off running and spits in your face. Uh, and you expect just to just to take that. Uh, OK, I mean, don't get me wrong. 
I would say probably better than 99% of the time. Yeah, we'll, we'll handle that with most utmost professionalism. But there is that half percent of the time when it's like you, and this is something I don't know if I talked to you about yet or not, but I got into it with a, with a biker guy. And it was one of those things where he caught me on the wrong day. I caught him on the wrong day. And it was like just, you know, one of those bad situations that just got out of control in seconds, you know. And those those days happen from time to time. And sometimes when you're in it, you don't recognize it. You don't recognize it. Hey, man, I need to just freaking drop a slip and go home or whatever. Or you don't have the opportunity to, you know. Um, Dave Uribe was killed back in 2005. And, you know, I knew that I didn't want to be there that day. I just, I wanted to go home. I'm like, I can't. Dave was one of my good buddies on my former squad. Really, really good guy. Got ambushed. Same kind of a situation as Dave Glasser. And I just, I couldn't deal with it. You know, and I'm like, I, but I knew that the, the bad guys are still out there on the loose. And I, I can't just freaking leave. You know, I've got a responsibility to be out here trying to find these guys, you know. And God forbid I had gone home and somebody else got shot, you know, and I could have been on that watch and, and missed out on that opportunity to help save somebody. You know, I'd never forgive myself. You know, and these kinds of things happen. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a roller coaster of emotions that sometimes you just have to, unfortunately put on the back burner for the time being and, and, and fight through. But then if you, if you don't recognize those things and you don't go back and fix that kind of stuff, that's been really comes a problem. So. Well, on top of that too, you know, because a lot of times it's, you know, what's going on at home, you know, a lot of officers take that to work. It's like a lot of officers, you know, we refuse to wear like a wedding ring or anything else like that because of the personalization that, you know, a, a subject they apply to you or try to use that against you and stuff like that and stuff like that because you know it's it's all a mind game of things like that all of a sudden you know the spouse finds out that you're not wearing wedding ring and it's just like you know, it's part of the job and things like that or you know a suspect that you know essentially that i could be putting them away for 30 years you know what i mean and then when i got you know family and stuff like that it's just there's a whole psych behind it all but then like you know our families don't understand why we make the decisions that we make and all of a sudden it's like so you got that playing as you're sitting there trying to you know go about your day and everything else and it's like baton <laughs> exactly right yeah i mean i mean that's all that's all real life type stuff and these are things that you know you probably get warned about but you you can't tell somebody that's what it's going to be until they experience it. Then they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. No, now I kind of get it. And that's not until after it's, you know, been processed through. And then you realize that, you know, wow, at the time, you know, Holy cow, I had no idea that I was so out of touch with reality, almost if you will, you know, and then still having to maintain that professionalism at all times, you know, and then answer the calls, you know, because you, you know, you drop an overtime slip when you, you, filled it out wrong and your boss is like hey you know you've been doing this 15 years you can't fill an overtime slip you know hey, just give me a break man i just i just want to go home or whatever else you know or whatever so and these kinds of things they're all just obviously just things that weigh on you you know i think we but you know it, it and that's why it's so important about this conversation with mental health though because it, it is those little things that it stacks it stacks and those little things are longer little things you know and it's going to be that one that just kind of puts you over the edge so you know, having someone to talk to, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to find somebody to talk to every day, 
you know, like you brought up in your first broadcast in regards to, I don't care if you want to talk to a dog or somebody, you know, but at least somebody can give you some positive feedback. But I mean, it's the, I mean, we all need someone to reach out to. I mean, human beings, we're social beings, you know, we need that, that connection of some sort and things like that to where, you know, in law enforcement, I mean, there's so much that somebody that's not in the field, they're never going to understand what is seen every day. You know, and, I agree. and that's why, like, sometimes I do try to, you know, add that extra, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say the scare factor, but, you know, to kind of intensify what the reality is that, you know, officers go through on a daily basis. Yeah, so. right, for sure. You know, and for the guys that, that sometimes forget, uh, I mean, luckily I was never that guy for the most part, but always, you know, remember the things that you love outside of work. And that's, that's hugely important because don't get me wrong. I mean, I love nothing more than going to the range and shoot my rifle. I mean, I was, I had a ball doing that, especially when I was doing it full time, um, on the, on the range, it was the greatest thing ever, but that's still connected to work. You know, even though I was, you know, I was doing all this really fun stuff, competitions and all this great stuff. It was cool, but that's still all, all work related stuff, you know? So having to take the time to separate yourself and remember that, you know, I was reading reading a book the other day. He's talking about you know the saucer. He asked him, you know, what's your what's your passion when you're off work? He's like, oh, fishing. I love fishing. I'm, I'm fishing all the time, all the time fishing, going fishing, going, you know, and everything else. And he goes on and on and on about it. And he finally corners the guy and he goes, okay, you you keep talking about how you you're always out there fishing. When's the when is the last time specifically you got on your boat or whatever it is when fishing? And he's like, about two years ago. <laughs> holy shit dude you know and you are so wrapped up in what you're doing you've forgotten to live outside of the, of the department you know and you you absolutely have to do that you i mean there's no question about it you got to escape and go do things and if you don't you're going to end up like statistically so many of us do where you know your spouse is going to be going you used to love doing these things and now you come home and you sit in the chair and you don't do anything, you know, and he talks about it being the remote, you know, when you're, when your spouse comes in and they're standing in front of you and when you get to the point where you're just doing this, you know, and you're just going around them to keep, to keep clicking on the remote, you're not even watching the TV. You're just flat out ignoring what's right in front of your face. That's when problems are starting really to arise. Um, and, you know, of course, in my case, it started being the accusations, you know, well, you're not talking to me. Who are you talking to kind of a thing? And it's like, OK, well, it's not because I'm talking to anybody else. I don't want to talk to anybody, including you, of course, because you're fucking psycho. But that's another story, but whatever. So but again, you know, having these things that you can do, you know, outside, you know, and, you know, a lot of us, they only we only want to communicate with like minded people, other cops or other first responders and stuff. It's like, well. You know, and I get it, don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of the friends that I had um, kind of fell off the edge because usually, unfortunately, on some level, if you look at it from the wrong angle, um, you're a cop, you know, your life's all exciting. You know, I mean, I got to chase this bad guy. What do you do? Uh, I'm a warehouse worker. I, I pack boxes all day. You know, well, who wants to talk about that? That's not exciting. But I got to go freaking chase this guy over 14 fences last week. Who wants to talk about that? So you've got all your cop buddies and all you do is talk about cop shit. And then you've got the few friends that you still have, if you still do have them, they want to hear all your cool cop stories. 
so it all revolves back around to it's all it's all copper weighted kind of stuff. Well, it also goes into what we were talking about the other day with um, Mike Zanito in regard to like once you step out and that retirement takes place. Oh yeah. Now, like you know, the the people that were you know once there by your side, all of a sudden they don't want anything to do with you because now you know you're living the dream, you know. But and it's the it's it's still even though it's hey my cop friend, you know, it's really not like you just said like-minded or even though you were living that life you're not in it right now to be able to you know you can relate to and understand their story that they're telling you but you know in their mind it's kind of like oh you're still not you know it's just yeah mind fun you know but and it's, it's also it can be you know almost one of those things where you know you didn't have to leave but you did anyway so they kind of feel abandoned on some level it's like you know we're still stuck here doing this bullshit job. You freaking bailed, and now you want to come back and tell us how great it is. It's like, well, yeah, but I hit my 20 or 25 or whatever it happens to be, and I did my time. You're at 17 years. I'm not I'm not my fault you didn't get hired sooner. You know, shit. I mean, what, what do you want me to do, you know? Well, on top of that as well, too, as far as the exposure, you know, aspect of it, to where, you know, somebody that's just a, you know, a beat cop, you know, that's just sitting there just doing traffic, they're not going to be exposed to or have, I'm not going to say the trauma, but okay, no, I am going to say the trauma that, you know, the detectives may have to go through or the NARC guys have to go through or, you know, SWAT has to go through. When you're seeing that intensity to where, you know, it's like, you know, compared to everything else, it's like you're just chasing squirrels and taking pictures opposed to what I'm out there doing, even though we're in the same career. It's just that, you know, it's like you're, you're all day you're just pulling people over just like, you know, directing traffic and, you know, they can have careers for, you know, 10 years to where they've never been exposed to any kind of, you know, high intensity, you know, trauma, you know, and it's just, there's some that fucking it's like shit magnet here, (laughs) you know, to where you're exposed to on a daily basis to where it's just, that's the normal for you. And that's just like, and that's, you know, one of my, uh, greatest friends, a former boss mentor, you know, he pointed out, he goes, you realize why you work so hard on the street? You know, it's because I never wanted to be home. I never wanted to deal with my crazy freaking wife, my ex now, <laughs> you know, and that's, I mean, I never even thought about it till I, till I left and he pointed that out, you know, he goes, it wasn't because you weren't a great cop because you were, it wasn't because you didn't want to work hard because you did. He goes, but you got far more fulfillment out of being at work than you ever did at home. I'm like, oh, man, that's, you know, and that was my own fault. I mean, it, it had a lot to do with her, her personality and her or lack thereof, if you will. But because when I go home, you know, it's we need to go to Walmart. We need to do this, you know, and it's like, but I go to work and I go and I kick in doors and I get to pull my rifle and all the great shit. And I come home and it's like, OK, well, push the shopping carts. Yeah. <laughs> out there and mow the grass. Are you kidding me? Uh, okay. And that's very, very common. And I think a lot of guys, they lose that. I don't think that they lose it because they're not happy at home. They're not unhappy at home. It's because now they've got this new-ish, newer element of work that is like go, go, go all the time, you know. And even if it's even if it's bad stuff, it's still more exciting than it is when you when you're at home doing you know, laundry and shit. You're like, okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm drying the spoons, you know, I'm putting dishes in the dishwasher, these kinds of things, which is all highly necessary stuff. And the problem is that 
also that, you know, he or she is at home. This is what they know. And if you're, if you're doing what so many of us do, especially with, you know, my generation of guys that aren't sharing those experiences of what you're going through at work, they're not going to know what it is that you're dealing with good, bad, or indifferent or whatever. So all they know is that you're going to work having the time of your life. You're coming home and not sharing anything. And they're, they're still pretty much on that same path. And now they're being kind of pushed away and pushed away and pushed away, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard to balance that out and make it to where he or she understands what you're dealing with at work and he or she understands what they're dealing with at home, you know? And, you know, her and I would, we would argue about it all the time. It's like, you know, well, you think that, you know, just cause I'm, I'm a stay at home wife and I'm taking care of the kids. That's an easy job. And I'm like, I, I fully acknowledge that what you do is very difficult, but here's the difference. When you put the kids down for a nap, you go watch freaking Maury Povich for an hour, take a nap. You can do all that shit all day if you want to, you know, where with me, I'm on a freaking perimeter for four hours. It's 120 degrees outside and I'm wearing 25 pounds of gear. I don't have an opportunity to take a freaking break, you know? And that was, that was one of those arguments that was never going to get one because she believes what I'm doing and she understands on some level. And I agree with what she's doing, but I'll never understand on her level. I'm like, Dude, if I was home all day, dude, I'd be freaking sitting around in my PJs doing nothing too, which of course is not true at all. It's not a, in the least bit true. And, you know, I can hear all the wives, you son of a bitch, you don't know anything. You know, and even Natalie's over here saying, I'm going to about to get slapped. But it's absolutely true that we don't, we don't appreciate oftentimes what it is that's going on behind the scenes when we're not there. All we know is that we walk in the door and it's, hey, we need to do this. Hey, the kids need homework. Hey, we need to go do it. Hey. Who would want to start home, like, you know, building popsicle houses and stuff like that? You know what I mean? Running around the can like a giant can. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, you got know, to go to Michael's because the kid needs stuff for the project. And I was like, dude, okay, you realize I've been, I drove an hour to work. I drove an hour home. I've been in a patrol car for like eight hours. You know, I've been, uh, uh, now you want to, I want to get home and get back in the car again. No, give me a break, you know. And, well, on, on top of that too, though, I mean, there's, there's things that you know a lot of individuals don't want to have to relive you know what i mean it's like the, the i don't want to talk about it, to where it's literally i don't want to talk about it you know because then it's you're reliving it in your head that scene again and all of a sudden now you're just thinking about it again and it's just it makes that situation sour you know to where it's just that you know a lot of times it's the i'm not going to say sheltering you know the family from what's been exposed where, you know, we, we spoke about this before about, you know, sometimes we, you know, have to let individuals know, like, what goes on, but in the same sense, you know, they don't really have to understand the, the intensity of it, they're, they're saying, you know. Right. But it's, uh, <clears throat> I think I think part of that is also denial. I mean, when you obviously you don't want to relive, you got to, you know, pull a kid out of a green pool, you don't want to have to relive that. But by you know, and this is the big misnomer that by not sharing that with your with your significant other, you're protecting them. No, you're not. You're not doing it. You're not doing a damn thing to protect them. They people, you know, unless you've lived in freaking Mayberry, people understand that bad shit happens. Okay, that's just a fact. Um, do they need to know specific details of what it is? Yeah, if, if you're if you've got that kind of relationship, sure, maybe. But um, you can still talk about these kinds of things and recognize the fact that hey man that really kind of screwed me up um and if you if you 
keep suppressing that kind of stuff, it's exactly what's going to happen to me when it's going to just hit you one day and you're going to be like, all that stuff that I didn't talk about is now coming back that I could have released then, especially with somebody you're, you're sharing a life with. They need to know these things because if they don't know what's going on in your life, they're going to assume the worst. And by sharing your experiences with them, that's just going to bring you guys even closer together that, hey, man, this guy's willing to tell me the worst tragedies of his life. So that must mean he really loves me or she really loves me to, to share these kinds of things versus, you know, well, I'm not going to tell you jack shit about my dad because you don't need to know because I got I to gotta protect you. You can't handle it. The fuck you do? No, you don't. <laughs> so, that's stupid. You know, you married a cop or you married somebody that became a cop. There's no way you don't know a lot of the stuff that they're dealing with. There's just no way, you know. And if you think that you're protecting your your significant other by sheltering them from the realities of what you do at work, you're you're full of shit. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anybody yeah, anybody anybody, anybody, anybody has a TV, you know, knows that shit happens, you know. Yeah, so it's, and I don't care how tough you are because I thought I was a tough guy. Oh, I can handle anything. Well, guess what? Um, I don't care how much of a rock star cop you are. You're the biggest, baddest freaking bodybuilder kicking in doors and dropping guys on their head and all that other kind of shit. At some point in time, it's going to catch up with you. And that if you say, oh, no, no, not me. Okay. Well, call me in five years or when you retire or when you, you know, your next major critical incident and you can't understand why you're falling down crying. Um Call me and try to deny it because I'm gonna kind of call you to the carpet and say, "Look, remember what I told you back that the one time, you know?" Well, statistically, I mean, those are the ones that you know have the that unfortunate statistic become that unfortunate statistic. You know, those that you know put off and carry that hard shell that when they break, they break. You know, it's unfortunate. And in all seriousness, this man, that's exactly why I love being on your show. This is exactly why I want to do what I want to do because I want guys to. Um, take it on board and realize that, Hey man, you know, you signed up for a, a phenomenal purpose filled career, but it does come with some tragedies and those tragedies need to be recognized and processed through uh, just a fact. And what does that make you? Nothing. It doesn't make you weak. Doesn't make you strong. Doesn't make you anything. It's just a fact of life. You know, you're going to see some bad shit that you just need to deal with. However that happens to be. But if you don't deal with it in the, in the back end of things, this is why guys end up, you know, alone, divorced, you know, and, and chewing on the end of their guns, which is the by far the most tragic thing you can ever think of for me. Because it's like, man, you, you know, again, guys have been through this many, many, many times and they have processed through and they figured out how to make themselves better. And, you know, when you when you pull that trigger and end your life or whatever it is, you, you swallow those pills, that's that shit's forever. You're not coming back. You're not going to be able to recover from these kinds of things. Even if you do, you know, there's a, there's a high probability that you're either never going to be trusted again, or you're going to lose your career, you know? And then what, you know, if you reach out for the help earlier on and say, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not okay. There's a probably better than 99% chance that you're going to get the help that you need. You're going to get the respect and you're going to get better. And then you're going to be able to get back out there and do what you love to do. And especially like, you know, even like, a, excuse me, you know, like five days or so after an incident happens, it doesn't have to be a serious incident, but one that actually kind of like lays heavy on your heart because, you know, you can either personalize it, excuse me, I'm sorry, but, and talk about it in five days because you may have a different perspective on it now or talking to somebody else about it, you know, 
it'll bring it more to light for you to where you are able to look at it in a different perspective, you know, but I, either way, you know, expressing that to where it, you, you have to get it off your chest. You have to talk about it because it's going to just be a downhill slope. If not, you know, I mean, right. you started out laughing and joking about it, but the more that, you know, you share something with somebody else, that's going to be the fastest way for another individual to open themselves to you. You know, cool. and then once you realize that, oh, hey, other people experience this as well, too, it's going to make what you deal with easier. It may not, you know, completely erase or heal completely, you know, what you have to deal with on a daily basis and what you store in your mind. But, you know, knowing that somebody else, again, this is a book, you know, but, you know, understanding that somebody else is there, somebody else has been through that. And then understanding is one thing, but, you know, what one individual went through may not have impacted them as much as it may have impacted me and vice versa. Right. You know, I get that. But still being able to talk about things like you just said, you're not going to be that guy that's chewing on the end of the gun or anything like right. that. So, Well, you know, and, you know, I try to end it with this, but I mean, if nothing else, you may be surprised that your most highly respected squad mate who you don't talk about the bad stuff with is suffering as much or more than you are. You're like, you're going through some bad shit too. Yeah. You know, and then you guys can work some stuff out together, you know? But well, on top of that, the, superior, the superiors, especially because, you know, I, I know we like to see the superiors or the, you know, the supervisors leading by example and keeping things core level. But that, I'm not going to say conflict of interest, but, you know, all superiors have to, they, they got their own code as well, too, to where, you know, they're not really being as personal with you as you can with, you know, fellow brothers, sisters, you know, your squad mates and things like that. So a lot of the things that they need to get off their chest, they're kind of limited on the individuals that they can share their traumas with because of that very fact. And a lot of people don't understand that to where, you know, my lieutenant, my captain really can't get us. I mean, we know what they do and we do, but they really can't express it to as many individuals, you know, because again, you know, just as, you know, as we as officers are sitting there saying that we're, hey, if I admit I have something going on, you know, they may feel that I'm not fit for the job or they may question me. The same thing with the superiors. I mean, think about their level of stress in their mind of the things that, you know, they're bottling up to where, hey, I'm supposed to be, you know, in charge of this whole squad. If I admit that, you know, I have shit going on that, you know, are they really going to feel that I'm fit to be, you know, running this squad? It's, it's not the case. I mean, it doesn't make anybody or it doesn't make them less eligible. It's just we all have shit. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, I got to throw a plug out to, to Joe Roberts, the guy running our scene, you know, uh, he was a sergeant out there and his struggle was higher than my struggle, but then my struggle was higher than his struggle. And we went back and forth about all kinds of different things. And I never looked at it from a supervisory standpoint, because I thought he did the best job he could. I don't, I don't think we really could have done anything differently on that scene. Um, but he, he took on the entire role of being responsible for that thing going bad because he was the boss that's a whole freaking ball of mess that he's got to that he's got to sort through you know and so for me it was a little bit easier because hey i'm just just a cop responding to a scene you're the one that's coordinating this whole thing and it went bad you know and not at all taking away anything that i had to deal with as well because of all the traumas and all the shit that we'll 
if you don't already know, you'll hear about later on. But, um, but it was it was a whole nother kind of a level, you know. And for me, it made it easier because Joe wasn't my boss. It was easier for me to lean on him. Um, with my had it been my actual sergeant out there, I don't think based on our our lack of trust within each other that I would have been able to lean on him the same way. You know what I mean? And that's a shame. Cause that's that's what he's there to do he's there to i mean yeah supervise me but also to freaking watch out and protect me that's a fact that's what you guys are there you're you're the boss you're supposed to lead me down the proper path you know and sometimes it just doesn't happen so and, and it's kind of like in that incident to where you know you're holding on to you know the helmet you know, yeah. maybe where you know a lot of times it was that i'm not going to say security blanket but you know if because we haven't reached out to other individuals, sometimes we have that thing of like what makes us feel safe to where it should be our fellow brothers or fellow sisters, but you know, and especially like the superiors and things like that, to where it's the, the first thing that, hey, I, I need this protection. And that, that shock going through there to where, you know, what else can I hold to that, yeah. you know, I deem as far as my safety, my protection and things like that. So and that's, that's so weird. You know, I mean, I still don't know why for guys that don't know about the helmet story, why it was the helmet that was my, my security blanket and that's exactly what it was you know like but that's what i needed you know i mean i still had a gun on me i'm still protected i had 100 cops running around i was completely perfectly safe but i still needed more whatever that happened to be and for me it was a helmet you know for some other guys it may be you know a, a place it could be in the mac van it could be in your in your patrol car it could be someplace where you just feel safe it could be you know your your safety net is getting on the phone with your wife or your husband or whatever you know i mean i, I i'm not going to say what it is because it's going to be different for everybody every circumstance is going to dictate your response in a different kind of a way and you're probably not going to know um like in my case even though you know she's now an ex for obvious reasons um as soon as i heard her voice on the phone i lost my shit. i started bawling i'm like what the hell is that all about you know i mean um and I had I've made that call multiple times before, you know, and I don't think it was necessarily because it was her voice. I think it was just because it was a voice, voice, you know, and it was it was somebody else that wasn't there that didn't know, and that that feeling of immediately of are you okay? And that was it. It's all took bam done. So uh, I think if had, if I had called my daughter or my son. It would have probably been the exact same kind of a thing um but because of course you know um my my youngest was still a teenager at the time um under age under 18. um he needed to hear this from her not from one of his classmates or something like that or even from me because i was still out there i was still too wrapped up in it and um she needed to be the the vehicle to let everybody else know that hey he's still there but he's okay kind of a thing you know so um but that doesn't always happen that way, unfortunately. So, anywho, well, hey, uh, what do you think about wrapping this thing up, man? So, yes, sir. Uh, all right. When you want to, when you want to jump into the next one? Um, I have. Uh, I'm going to be up in Pasadena Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday next week. But I, it's as far as I understand it, I'm just going to be working during the day and after regular hours if you will i'm gonna just be sitting in uh firearms instructor 
class, if you will, just to get a refresher from how these guys do their thing. Um, assuming they don't want to, you know, drag me to their homes and drink beer and stuff like that. Hopefully I'll just go straight back to the hotel and just be done. And just, so, um, anytime after probably six o'clock Sunday night or Monday, Tuesday, I should be good to go. So. Perfect. Yeah. I have the, uh, Michael Cerulli on, uh, Tuesday, okay. Monday we're, we're doing, uh, Sam Livingston and I have a, a whole list coming up we still got to do the, the troy and everything else too but I, you know i always like you know you to join on as well too because you always yeah, yeah. Gotta, you know add the extra insight and everything else too but you know we're gonna get this thing ramped up and going so i have a few more commercials to put out there as well too so like any kind of insight that you know any kind of messages that you'd like to you know put out there because i'm actually going to be taking all of these i'm getting everything ready to where i can put it on different streaming platforms as well too outside of just like you know the social media platforms and the websites and i mean it's sitting everywhere you know, so there's like kind of target everywhere. And, you know, it doesn't matter if everyone sees it, I only want the relevant people to see it. You know, sometimes the people that don't think that they need to see it are those relevant individuals that yeah, should right. see it. So sure. but we're, we're going to, we're going to get it there and everything else too. And, you know, I look forward to speaking to you again and just, I mean, shoot me a text, email me, give me a call or something like that. And okay. I, I can set this up pretty quick. Um, how about we uh, tend to be set up for Sunday? If not, then probably I'm guessing probably Friday a week from today. I'll, I'll go ahead and prepare. I'll go ahead and prepare one for Sunday. That way, it's the because I didn't even get this one put out for you know going live until like an hour before. You know, it's it's Friday, so you know these all these people got other things you know better to do than get some positive encouragement and stuff. But uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, I'll get it set up for Sunday, and you know I can I can always reschedule and everything else as well too. All right. Yeah, sounds good, man. Sounds good. I'll wait to I'll wait to hear from you. How about that? Well, I'll, I'll wait to hear from you because I'm going to schedule it around you. Okay. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for like six ish, give or take. Cause I gotta obviously I gotta it's like a two hour drive from from my house up there. So. Um, Perfect. Yeah, and if any, if anybody at home, you know, watching this or when you listen to it on the, the podcast, the radio, you know, if you need to contact Chris or if you have any questions for him. You know, here's his email scrolling across the bottom right there, the chrishoyer46 at gmail.com. You know, send him an email and, you know, ask him a question. We'll cover it on the next episode. Or, you know, you guys can send me an email as well. Or, you know, just go on to the request to be the guest. And, you know, we can add you to this broadcast. That way you can ask the questions live and everything else, too. But, you know, reach out if you guys have questions that you want to hear Chris's insight on of things that you're dealing with. You know, that's why we're doing this. That's what we're here for. So, you know, I pray everyone... You know, stays blessed and stays safe in all things. And Chris, again, I can't thank you enough for always being on here. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Cool. Sounds good, brother. Thanks, man. Yes, sir.